What's good? Assalamu alaikum wabarakatuh. Finally, after eons, we're back with a podcast. Uh, this time with, uh, he's pretty like, I would say he's like the dad of Muslim Twitter, you know, he's very wise, mashallah. <laughs> and this course, uh, his name is uh, Brother Ismail Royer. Uh, Ismail Royer, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, right now, I think he's, uh, actually, let's, why don't we let him introduce himself? Uh, for, just for the viewers that may have not heard of you from the yeah. Mad Mamluks, uh, who are you? I am some guy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just some dude, you know? Oh, okay. Just some dude. Yeah. No, but like, uh, what, like, you're... I think the, the experience that I had, like how I came across you, was on the Madam Luke's podcast. And I think it's the same thing with Fahad, where, yeah. uh, where, you, uh, where you were in prison for a while for being yeah. wrongly accused of certain things. Yeah, no, I, it wasn't really wrongly accused, right? Yeah, it wasn't really wrongly, but... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So basically, uh, I guess the thing of um, points of interest would be that I converted uh, to Islam in 1992. I'm from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And I, uh, I converted when I was 19, um, just, uh, just starting college. And um, so I converted and um, I, before that I had been kind of a, uh, you know, like sort of like an activist, like anti-war type guy and uh, anti-racism and stuff. And I guess, you know, of course I still uh, hold to a lot of that, but it was from the sort of um, uh, anarchist type of leftist atheist perspective. And um, you know, so I, <clears throat> and how I got out of that, you know, fog of atheism and so on is its own uh, story, you know, that could be uh, talked about. But in any event, I, I eventually converted to Islam and, um, and I uh, came to D.C. in 1993 to go to college at, at American University. And when I started there, I uh, connected up with, um, you know, with uh, some different uh, Islamic scholars and started taking classes. And Alhamdulillah, even in St. Louis, I was uh, uh, studying with a very important uh, scholar that we had out there, Sheikh Mohammed Noor Abdullah from Sudan. And um, in D.C., I was studying with uh, Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Jaffer Idris. And anyway, um, so eventually I wound up going to Bosnia uh, in 94 uh, to join the um, uh, Arab volunteers uh, who were fighting against um, uh, helping the Bosnian army fighting against the Serbs um, during the, the civil war there. So I was there for um, about six months until the war ended. Um, so yeah, I, I was, um, according to you know, one of your questions that you're asking, I was um, on the front lines there um, and fought um, in a few battles uh, there. And uh, that, and then the war ended. So when the war ended, I came back home and um, this is now 90, uh, 95, I came back home and got bored at home because I'm, you know, back at home trying to go back to college and I'd just come back from this, you know, very intense um, experience and, uh, you know, and, you know, and then I, uh, I continued to look for more interesting kinds of scenarios like Bosnia to join until I got myself in trouble, basically, is, is long and short of it. So we can elaborate on that, whatever you want to ask about any of that. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, yeah, you got, yeah. So after that, I think you violated some, because when you went there, you violated certain laws, right? Like, not, uh, it's like the Non-Neutrality Act, wasn't it? That Non-Neutrality you know, Act. Not with respect to Bosnia. Um, not with Bosnia, but the other places, right? You went to, Kash was it Kashmir? Yeah, so one of the places I went to was Kashmir. Um, we went to Kashmir, uh, me and a brother on uh, intending actually to go to Chechnya, this was 99, 2000. And um, 
instead of going to Chechnya, we sort of got uh, sidetracked into helping um, this Mujahideen group uh, called Lashkar-e Taiba in Kashmir um, that was fighting against uh, India. And, you know, of course, they're the ones that unfortunately carried out the uh, Mumbai attacks in 2007, um, many years after I had any, you know, I was done having anything to do with them. But um, prior to that, I had gotten involved with them because my understanding was that they were just fighting against um, the Indian military and not against civilians. So, you know, it's, it's very important to understand that in this sort of like pre 9-11 time, um, and, you know, that those people who were out there like killing civilians and, you know, um, that type of thing were, were really just uh, considered kind of weirdos, you know, I mean, like considered like, you know, like, like no one really knew who these people were. I mean, you know, they're, you know, Al Qaeda had carried out the attacks in um, in in Africa in the you know in '97 uh, against the uh, U.S. Uh, embassies, uh, or maybe '98 actually I think. And so you know, it was like that was the first time that anyone I, that I had ever even really heard of of them actually. Um, and you know, and and it's interesting because I had been involved in all these different you know jihad movements. This is the first time I heard of these people, and I couldn't figure out what where they were coming from. You know, I mean, like. I'm looking at them and they looked like the people that I was with in, Bo in Bosnia, the Arabs I was in Bosnia, but they talked differently. They had this really bizarre, um, you know, tech theory um, attitudes. And, you know, the people I was with in Bosnia, they didn't, they were Saudis and they did not, you know, declare the government of Saudi Arabia to be Kufar. They didn't de declare Sheikh bin Baz and Sheikh bin Uthameen to be Kufar. They loved those, um, those are the men, you know, and they didn't like love the government, but they, you know, they, they accepted the fact that this was the government and that they're Muslim. Yeah. Like, yeah, that they're Muslim. Yeah. They're Muslim. And as a matter of fact, you know, but now, you know, now if you doubt, I have met people that if you say that you doubt that the government of Saudi Arabia are Kufar, that you yourself are a Kafir, you know? And so, and then if someone doubts that I'm a Kafir for doubting that the Saudi government is a Kafir, oh, yeah. then, I'm, then they're a Kafir, you know? So that's mentality. Insanity yeah. is absolute insanity. So, yeah. so anyway, this, this, this thing emerges and then especially with the Gulf War, you know, which was, horrible. But anyway, uh, so, um, so yeah, so I got involved with Lashkar Tayyib, and as far as I knew at that time, um, first of all, I knew that they were connected very closely with the Pakistani government, um, Pakistani military, that is, so I'm assuming that this is like an up and up, you know, above board thing, and I also um, knew that they were, like, in terms of their Islam, um, they were essentially Ahl al-Hadith, which is basically, you know, this sort of Salafi um, that I was affiliated with at the time, um, and they very closely followed the ulama of Saudi Arabia. Um, so I, I determined them to be, a, um, you know, like a legitimate uh, sort of organization that was defending Muslims and so on. You know, the, the problem is with, with something like Kashmir or other types of, you know, so Bosnia, if you look at Bosnia, Bosnia was just very clear cut. It's very obvious, you know, it's like, here's this, you know. Um, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy as well. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, you look at Kashmir. Okay, yes, we we understand that the way that the Kashmiri, I mean, the Indian government is treating Kashmiris is terrible. And then, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but you know, is is really the solution like that? Pakistan-based people like provoke, you know, in Indian military. Is that is that really the way to go about this? Is is this you know? And then I I actually I actually can't. I don't have any, I can't say, I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it's not, it just doesn't seem to, um, it, it's not, it's, it's not a very clear cut thing. So it's not as black and white as Bosnia was basically. It's not black and white at all, you know, and, and much less other things, like in this, this happens to other people, like for example, uh, Omar um, Hamami, the guy from um, 
Alabama, who uh, you know is half Syrian, half white, went off to uh, uh, Somalia and joined a, a Shabab and thought that he was joining some sort of Bosnia type thing and you know where it's black and white and then discovers that it's not and tries to get out and get and they and they kill him for it. So there so this is what's happening in El Shabab as bad as they are and they are bad um they uh, they're and they're um and by the way I'm not misusing you know a lot of people say oh they you're mis you know the term collage applies to any no it actually has a very specific at least the way I'm using it I'm not using it in a sort of like way to smear people or something. I mean, the, the, that term has very specific characteristics and these people have these characteristics because they're yeah. Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda are Khawadij. So yeah. you get involved with a group like that, thinking that you're getting involved with, with, um, with uh, uh, and by the way, no, no human beings are angels, no cause is totally pure, no effort is totally pure, but- But, but Bosnia was more so than others. Yeah, yeah, there's a spectrum. I mean, there's a spectrum of that and so, you know, Anyway, and there's a tipping point at which you're like, ah, this is not something to get involved in. So, um, unfortunately, since um, uh, since this um, fikr or this uh, mentality has has taken over the fields of jihad and so on, and the theaters of jihad, then uh, I actually don't see any benefit whatsoever in getting involved in any of this uh, stuff. Which is, un un I don't want to say it's unfortunate. But it's it's just different because back in in the in the '90s and even in the '80s, um, you know, it, it's the thing is that a that a young man, you know, a young man was who's full of energy and testosterone and um, you know and so on. In 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 other times, you know, we would have gone off to war. We would have gone off to, um, you know, we would have had uh, these kind of um, experiences. And um, instead, we're at home playing video games and and we're or we're you know working at you know freaking Baskin Robbins or something so you know it's like or we're in, we're, in, we're, in, we're in class learning about um you know deconstructing uh you know something or other you know so so these are not like environments um for men and and so that's why I think you know you have these outlets like UFC and and um MMA and things coming up and weightlifting which I think are really really good things for uh young men to transfer to, to put their energy into it, as well as things like what you're doing, uh, Brother Fahad, which you mentioned about um, being a firefighter and these kind. I mean, these are very manly pursuits that I think are productive ways of, you know, of, of uh, channeling that man, uh, manly. Oh, man. Yeah, definitely, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, got, I guess got a little sidetracked, but that's you know. No, that that we will touch on that. Yeah, I just wanted to get into. So basically, you you had those experiences, Chechnya. No, I want to ask, like, where exactly uh, did you do your tourism? I went to, I was in Bosnia, obviously. Then I, uh, I went to, uh, when the war in Kosovo started, I went to um, Macedonia, which is on the border of Kosovo, trying to get into Kosovo. Uh, spent a couple months there with some brothers um, trying to get in, but we couldn't get in because the KLA, which was the Albanian um, nationalist organization that was leading the fight against the Serbs was uh, actually a communist organization that hated uh, religion and hated Islam. So, um, I mean, that might be a little bit of a overstatement, but it's, it's pretty, pretty close to the truth. Or anyway, that's how we saw it at the time. That, uh, they, and they were descended from a Leninist uh, Albanian nationalist movement. Um, so they weren't having, they weren't interested in anyone coming, you know, for the sake of Allah, you know, they just were interested in Albanian nationalists coming to help them. So, we we were stuck in Macedonia, and there were other people stuck in um, you know Albania on both sides of the border trying to get in, 
Um, ultimately, the United States started bombing uh, the Serbs and totally um, humiliated and defeated them. So, um, the, so there was no longer any purpose of, of staying there. So left. Yeah. So anyway, then when Chechnya, when Russia invaded Chechnya again in '99, um, that's when we decided to go to uh, Chechnya, and I wound up going to Kashmir. Never did make it to Chechnya, but I was in Kashmir, and in Kashmir, I didn't fight in Kashmir, but I, um, you know, that's like a translator, right? Well, I toured the camps. I worked. Uh, I um, I toured the front lines. Um, I uh, but I mainly uh, was in the office um, uh, doing like like setting up their um, very rudimentary like uh, e email type newsletters. And um, at that time, you had e lists or you know um, list serves or whatever, which were like you know um, you know list email lists that you would send out news. I was putting writing like. Um, I was writing like uh, statements and writing um, writing uh, sort of essays and and so on articles for them about their positions on um, Islam in general. Uh, really interesting that they were very they were very much promoting the idea that Islam in the West should not be uh, clashing, you know, but that the problems that Muslims have are things like with you know like with India or you know just just sort of like um, sort of like defensive type things. Uh, now that somewhat contrasts with some other messages that they were putting out, you know, so they had like on their website, like pictures of like, you know, the American flag in flames and so on like that. But if you, a lot of that really was just um, rhetoric. Yeah. Rhetoric. I mean, if you, if you really ask, see, and here, and here's, this is the critical thing to understand. The critical thing, critical thing to understand is that most of the jihad movements at that time, uh, the mainstream ones and those that were kind of, related to the the movement that Abdullah Azam set up. And by the way, Al-Qaeda was very, very, very opposed to Abdullah Azam. They hated Abdullah Azam, no matter what their, you know, um, rhetoric and so on is now. Um, why? Because Abdullah Azam was um, someone who was more from a pragmatic perspective and saw it uh, to be beneficial uh, to work with. Um, he wasn't He wasn't someone who was just interested in uh, fomenting revolution everywhere in chaos. Um, you know, he was interested in, um, he was pragmatic, you know, he was pragmatic and his interests were in helping, um, helping the Muslims, defend the Muslims against, um, and, and starting to unwind some of the, uh, uh, you know, oppressive regime um, situations that they were in with, like, so his idea was after Afghanistan, um, after the Russians were defeated and after the communists in Russia were defeated, that he wanted to then free the, um, uh, Soviet republics of like Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and that sort of thing. Well, Al-Qaeda at that time was totally uninterested in even fighting in Afghanistan. They were interested, um, this, this is of course with uh, Abdullah, um, I mean, uh, Al-Wahiri and his jihad organization, which became Al-Qaeda. They were interested in um, going and causing revolution and chaos in Egypt and places like that. Not in, they were not interested in like sort of these military uh, type of um, operations. And of course, this is a lot yeah. of Muslims won't even know who Abdullah Azam is. You want to like? Uh, yeah, sorry. So Abdullah, Abdullah Azam was. Uh, a Why is he important? Yeah, he was a Palestinian, very important um, leader who, um, who uh, he promoted the um, uh, Afghan jihad against the um, the Soviets, and he um, he promoted it in the sense that he um, fundraised for the um, for the Afghan fighters, and he also to some extent, um, organized some Arab fighters to come to, um, to come to Afghanistan and fight. And many people think that this is 
that this was Al-Qaeda and that this was, you know, yeah, Bin Laden was at that time involved with Abdullah Azam, but he had not um, joined Al-Qaeda. He had informed Al-Qaeda with Ayman Zawahiri and he hadn't gone in such a takfiri um, Qariji uh, direction. Right. So when Ayman Zawahiri came, so, so what was going on there in Afghanistan in the 80s was a sort of, um, you know, just a genuine actual, something that resembled more the jihad of the Prophet So, you know, in, they, they generally tended to observe the, um, the rules of, uh, of war as, it was, as uh, they were handed to us in the Sunnah and, um, and so on. And also just, again, like strategically, there was a lot more uh, common sense involved in, okay, we're going to work with the Pakistanis, we're going to work with the United States, we're going to work with uh, Saudi Arabia and other countries to, uh, to, uh, to, to uh, repel this invasion from the, the Soviets and, uh, and so on. And that was very similar to then you saw like Tajikistan, which um, came after that. Um, uh, again, this was in line with Abdullah Azam's vision. Abdullah Azam was assassinated. Many people think it was the, it was Ayman Zawahiri. Other people said, no, it was, um, it was the Israelis. Others, some say it was the CIA, but it, doubtful. Um, you know, uh, doubtful it was those. I, I think many people believe it was Ayman Zawahiri actually and Al-Qaeda who did it. Um, because they hated him, they couldn't stand him, um, because he was a rival to their vision. Their vision was um, uh, setting the Muslim world on fire with chaos um, and, and revolution and uh, terror. And that's what they, um, that's what they did, you know. Right. So anyway, um, so, I, uh, so the people that I was with in Bosnia, they had been part of, um, they were Saudis, and they had been part of um, a, a group affiliated with Abdullah Azam, uh, which then came to Bosnia and uh, as a group. Uh, they first they went to Tajikistan to fight in Tajikistan. What happened in Tajikistan was something uh, late uh, early '90s, very similar to Afghanistan, where the Russians were um, trying to uh, inf enforce a, a prop up a, a very bad government there in Tajikistan. So there was some. Uh, war there, the Russians left, there was a settlement, so then people, the Arabs left Tajikistan, and then many of them came to Bosnia after that. So I was with a group um, there in Bosnia. By the way, I don't mean by any of this to say that like everyone was perfect and this was all, you know, but no, I just... No, jihad over time, right? It became a lot more gray. Right. I just mean to say that, and then after that, what really, the very bad thing happened was Ayman Zawahiri and his jihad tech fury group began to influence people very uh, in a very bad way. So... Um, then you asked, so you asked me, um, where did you go after that? So there's Bosnia, yeah, Kashmir. Yeah. So, so, so Kashmir, that was the last place that I went and I, I continued to be involved with Kashmir and sending people to go off to the camp, uh, Lashkar Tlaiba's camps, uh, in the, um, uh, 2000s, uh, well, up until 2001. So 2001, obviously nine, nine 11 happens when nine 11, uh, I actually, I should mention also that we had. You know, we had a group of young men, um, you know, that we used to hang out with. Um, we had uh, one of the brothers in the Northern Virginia area, his um, father, uh, excuse me, his uncle passed away and left him like 200 acres of land in Spotsylvania, which is kind of in the country. And so we used to go out and um, uh, go hunting and uh, off-roading in like our, our paintball. Uh, paintball. Yeah, we played paintball. We played, um, you know, we used to, we used to go off-roading and we, for some reason, like three or four of us had the... On pathfinders, you know, so we'd all just not the not the like sissy, you know, family pathfinders now. I mean, like the real truck-based pathfinders. <laughs> we all, we, all, we used to have. You'd see like this like convoy of pathfinders flying through the uh, 
<laughs> through the swamps and stuff. You know, it was just a lot of fun. You know, um, a lot of us, we had... Um, How old were you then at that point? I was probably like 20, uh, 27, 25. Something okay. Like that. Uh, 20, the other brothers were a little bit younger, you know. Um, so when I started getting involved in Kashmir and then I started, you know, we got this group of brothers. And of course, at that time, uh, Chechnya was really, really big in the news. Um, the Muslims were really like talking about it a lot and really... Uh, sort of admiring the the way that the Chechens were um, fighting against the, the Russians. So, uh, of course, I, I have to say that, you know, even that, that was starting to get a little weird and a little ambiguous, you know, but anyway, there was, generally speaking, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot to admire about their um, guerrilla uh, warfare against Russian, the Russian invasion. Um, we can talk about the problems with that situation. But anyway, um, so... What did they... Go on, actually. Yeah, so people... So people started like they wanted to go. Uh, they they were taking me up on my offer for them to go and train in in Kashmir with Lashkar Tlaiba because it would put them in a position that you know if, you know possibly to go fight in Chechnya or just to just to have fun um, shooting in the mountains and being with Mujahideen and so on and then coming back. So that, and, and by the way, of course, not, none of this had anything any concept of being anti. U.S. government or anything like that. We didn't really see ourselves in that way at all. We were we were just you know, interested in helping Muslims, defending Muslims, and being being you know young men, you know. And so what happens is 9/11 happened, and um, you know one of our brothers was in in Kashmir when it when 9/11 happened, and then the the FBI of course was combing the whole Northern Virginia area um, because of the. They turned out that a couple of the hijackers had been um, in Northern Virginia when um, when that happened. Uh, you know, so so that was one of the things. And then also just the fact that the whole Northern Virginia area was under a lot of scrutiny for just a lot of sort of Islamic activities and so on. And you know, and in hindsight, when something like 9/11 happens, and then you and then you know, you know, you look around and you see, oh, here's this group of like maybe 30, 40 young Muslims that are like, they have guns and they're training and they're, they're going back and forth to Pakistan. And so um, we realized that we would look, you know, we, we, we were in a very weird uh, position. And also just, we wanted, we wanted to know what as Muslims, what our position should be like now. So, you know, Bush was getting ready to send, um, uh, getting ready to send, uh, uh, you know, uh, the military over to Afghanistan. They were demanding that the Taliban hand over bin Laden threatening to invade and all this um you're you know bush is saying you're either with us or you're with the terrorists and that sort of thing so like we obviously n none of us none of us liked al-qaeda in any way we all we all hated it. that was like part of our fikr you know part of our um our uh, strand of thought in um islamically you know was that we were we were very much against those people and we used to actually battle like a lot of us actually used to battle on online against these tech theories and um that you know and there are some people still existing on um out there on Muslim Twitter and, and so on who were, who were part of who were part of that and I'm not going to mention uh, who they were but uh, they know who they are um, but there's not many not many left like we had a we had an e-list called Al Jazeera which had nothing to do with the, sorry which had nothing to do with the, um, Al Jazeera the the network but Al Jazeera e-list which existed from night like '93 or something and um, even before like the internet itself existed it would, when it was just like email and stuff for college students. And so, like, ultimately, like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 people from that e-list wound up going to jail. <laughs> it's like, so, uh, in, all, in all somewhat sort of related um, related situations. Um, um, but um, anyway, so, uh, 
when that yeah. happened, when that happened, we asked a local scholar, Ali Tamimi, to give us some advice on what we should do. And he gave us, um, he came and met with us and he gave us very, very bad advice, which was that he advised us to, that we should all leave the country and um, go join uh, Mujahideen um, anywhere in the world and so on. And so a bunch of us did that. So what happens is that the FBI, who is already sort of, you know, looking very closely at, um, and this was like maybe three, three days after 9-11, we had that meeting and then um, a bunch of us left. So what happens is that, uh, you know, sooner or later, the FBI winds up, you know, you know, determining who all these people were that left and if they've got this group of guys playing paintball and they've got guns. So they began, um, and then also like the brothers started coming back to the United States because they got bored wherever they were or something like that. You know, it's about five or six people left um, that I helped them and I helped them get to Lashkar Taiba. So they got bored. They came back to America. I went to Bosnia for about eight months and then I came back. And part of the reason that we left again is because the Sheikh Ali had given us this, like he'd like wound us up with this talk about how there's going to be, you know, concentration camps in America. And, you know, the, the Yom Qiyam is, it's like the, it's like the Melhama, you know, Isa Islam is going to come back and the Dajjal mm -hmm. is coming I mean, it was you just, you guys up. yeah. What's that? So, yeah, no, he hyped, he basically hyped them up, right? Like he, he, he hyped us up, you know, he hyped us up in a really, um, you know, really, uh, you know, and then of course, you know, he stayed, he stayed back in, in America and finished his PhD while, while we're off, you know, you know, sitting, you know, in these lives. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, bro. That guy had no skin in the game. Well, I, and I don't, I don't, you know, here's the thing is like, I can only really blame myself for, for following such, uh, idiotic advice um and i also you know part of me i mean i ha i i i do love sheikh ali in many ways i just think that he um you know i i hope my hope is that he has seen what um you know has reflected a great deal on the um you know frankly the uh, the lack of wisdom in that whole situation um you know and uh, you know the stupidity of that of that advice that he gave us um well, anyway, so what happened is, so they started, they charged us, me and uh, ultimately about 13 people with um, uh, going to, uh, well, many things. Um, uh, one was a conspiracy to, as you said, violate the neutrality laws, the United States neutrality laws um, the, uh, uh, with respect to India, and, uh, the war between India and Pakistan, and also the war between the Chechens and um, Russia. So since the United States is purportedly like neutral in those conflicts, it's illegal for a U.S. citizen to get involved in those conflicts on one side or the other because the risk of um, drawing the United States into that conflict. That's, that's the theory behind the law. It's very old. It was passed in like the 1780s and has very rarely been used, but it's used against us. Then we, we were charged also with material support for terrorism, uh, material support for Al-Qaeda, for Lashkar al-Taliba, uh, attempting to contribute goods or services to territory controlled by the Taliban. Um, uh, treason, actually treason, um, and several other things. Because the theory was that the, uh, this group of people who left after 9-11 intended to make their way to Afghanistan to fight against U.S. troops who were trying to uh, overthrow the Taliban and trying to... Um, what year was this? This was, well, we were arrested in 2003, um, but the investigation had gone on for, for about a year. Um, yeah, so, you know, so I was arrested in 2003. I, I um, was charged with all this stuff. About two weeks before the trial, I pleaded guilty to two um, counts. One was uh, use of a fire, well, aiding and abetting the use of a firearm during and in relation to a crime of violence. The crime of violence was a conspiracy 
to um, violate the Neutrality Act. Uh, and then the other one was um, aiding and abetting the carrying of an RPG uh, during in relation to um, the uh, the Neutrality Act conspiracy. So it was related to weapons that were uh, carried in, excuse me, in a camp in Kashmir, uh, training camp in Kashmir. So you're using RPG? I I have. I mean, I did in Bosnia, not in. But my my charge here was uh, helping someone get to this camp where they carried this RPG. So, okay, <laughs> yes. so actually, yeah, so it's actually a very, very stretched out. Uh, my, like my connection to this is very stretched out. And, and my judge was like, um, I mean, my connection is not stretched out in the sense that I helped this person get over there. But like legally speaking, it's a little bit questionable. But my judge decided that it was something that that, that would stand. And so I pleaded guilty to these two charges. And I went to prison and I um, was gone for 13 and a half uh, years and until I finally got out, um, was released early for um, good behavior. And uh, um, yeah, so that's, that's yeah. that. So prison, all right, yeah, so that's- uh, oh, yeah, so well, that, that story was insane. What, uh, so you got in prison, right? So can, like, can I ask like, like a question first before this? Yeah, just you can ask me anything kind of By the way, remind me, remind me to, to mention that there's have been some very, extremely important developments in the legal case against not only me, but also my co-defendants. Uh, so two co-defendants were just released from prison who had life sentences. They were just released as a result of a Supreme Court case. So uh, uh, remind me to mention something about that because it's very important develop developments in that case. Solid, yeah, who ask you. All right, Gopal, ask your question. Yeah, yeah, so a lot of the younger guys, um, they're not gonna know that the, like that the U.S. and the Afghan Mujahideen, they were like friends at one point. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. Do you remember the movie Rambo? Have you ever watched that? Yeah. 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 I think like Rambo 3, was it? It had that. That you had Afghan Mujahideen and the U.S. Yeah. Uh, forces, yeah. they were on the same side. Yeah. Yeah. Point. And even the, the, at the end, it says like dedicated to the Mujahideen of Afghanistan. Or something. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good point to mention uh, for our listeners. Like in the beginning, like you know, the Afghan Mujahideen were considered like like actual freedom fighters and good guys. Yeah, yeah against the against the Soviets. Yeah, yeah they so were here, they were heroes. There was like like some American like conservative organizations print, uh, actually like um, made coins uh, that had a picture of a uh, an Afghan Mujahid and then it said like La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah and they were selling them as fundraisers for the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. These are like white Christian conservative <laughs> groups. <you know? laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah. It was really interesting, really interesting. Yeah. But that, okay, so, at that time, the, the enemy was like the USSR. Yeah, at that time, the enemy was the USSR. But see, again, I mean, you know, I, I only blame, um, I don't say I only blame, but I, I, I put a great deal of blame on um, certain Muslims who, uh, squandered that and decided to, for no good reason whatsoever, to make um, America their enemy. Now, one could say, oh, well, of course, America was only just in involved in the uh, um, Afghan thing for their own reasons. And uh, I mean, obviously, they were, they were supporting it for their own reasons. No one does anything that's not in their own interest, you know, um, at least when it comes to um, you know, uh, sort global of politics and whatnot. yeah, global politics. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as individuals, we do things that are not in our interests all the time. Um, you know, uh, so wanting for others more than what we want for ourselves, and so on, which which are things that we abide by in our own personal lives, or should should abide by. But you know, when it comes to uh, global politics, every in every uh, 
people acts in a way that is in its own interest. So yes, they were acting in their own interest, but at the same time, there is no good reason to have like, uh, for, for certain, these certain Muslims to have gone off and attempted to um, uh, make it in America's interest to fight Muslims, you know? So, I mean, you know, I mean like, yeah, if, if there's already certain arenas and situations where uh, the interests of Muslims in the United States or the West in general uh, do not coincide or, 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 or have some sort of like um, clash, then the, the, the best way is to try to resolve that in, in some other way or to try to minimize those differences as opposed to like exacerbating it and trying to open up more uh, conflicts and more reasons. Uh, so this is just idiotic behavior and it's, it's behavior that doesn't, um, it's not rational and uh, that's because um, it, 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 it results from people ha you know, having magical thinking instead of thinking pragmatically. And the example here is, for example, the um, World uh, Trade Center, the first World Trade Center bombing that was uh, carried out by a group of brothers in uh, New York uh, and, uh, and involving um, some people who came from Afghanistan to the United States in order to carry it out. And these, group, these, these people are the most idiotic um, group of people that you, you can ever meet. I mean, I actually know many of them personally, having met, having met them in prison. Um, for example, Said Hussein, uh, uh, Said Nasser, who is uh, an Egyptian guy who, um, old, you know, old, older man now, who uh, killed Rabbi Meir Kahani, uh, who was himself a fanatic, um, uh, just absolutely fanatic, um, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim um, rabbi from, from Brooklyn. Uh, so he, so the brother uh, assassinates him and then he, um, got involved with these people who carried out the first World Trade Center bombing. And their, their, their idea was, I actually, so, so the, it's very hard to say what they were thinking, you know, but the, um, so the instigator of all this is this, was this uh, Pakistani guy. Um, uh, so he comes from Pakistan and um, uh, Ramzi Yusuf was his name. And he was just some chemistry student. I, I, I don't, I never met him personally, but I know his co-defendant. I know one of his, uh, a guy who knew him very, very closely. And he was just some chemistry student, but the brother told me who knew him, he said that he had some idea that he was, um, it was his destiny to change the course of history. And he was going to do it, you know? And so his, so he hit upon the idea of, um, of trying to attack the World Trade Center, uh, and he, uh, uh, he carried it out, you know? And then he, um, and it, it was just the stupidest thing, it had made no sense whatsoever. Um, he issued some kind of idiotic uh, statement in the name of like some fake brigade that he invented in his mind saying this is um, in, I don't know, this is whatever he did it for. And, and obviously that was the beginning of a very, very bad, um, that was the beginning of a very bad uh, chain of events, you know, and Al-Qaeda's um, idiotic attack on 9-11. See, not only, here's the thing, not only is it idiotic, not only is it um, totally against Muslim interests, but obviously, also as well, it's it's against Islamic. Um, it's, it's it's haram what they did. It's it violates the our um, norms and our our our, um, our laws that uh, Allah and His Messenger gave us. So it's just it's just wrong in, 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 on every conceivable. On every scale. Yeah. It's not practical. It's not Islamic. Nothing. Nothing. There's no benefit at all. At all. And I, many, many, many of the um, people is, for example, in Bosnia. After I left America right after 9-11, I went to Bosnia and I met many of the, uh, the Mujahideen who had been in the war, you know, and they were, they're still in Bosnia, many of them at, at that time. And they're like, 
we don't know what these people were thinking. I mean, what, they didn't ask us about, um, you know, they didn't ask us if this was a good idea. You know, they, these just, these idiots just went off and, and did this. They were furious about it. So anyway, um, yeah, so, so let's get back to the question. <laughs> so going back, to, uh, going back to the original discussion. So basically, you, you like, you know, you went to Bosnia, you went to Chechnya, all these events happened, 2003, you're in prison. I tried to go to Chechnya, I didn't get to Chechnya. He tried to go to Chechnya, you couldn't get to Chechnya, stuck in Kashmir. And then, yeah, went to Kashmir and then came back. Yeah, so then, and then 2003. You want to ask about what they did in the camps? Like what they did for training? Yeah, I mean, so it's very similar. I want to ask them, just before the, Brother Ismail, you go on on a tangent. Amar, do you, do you want to ask that question or what uh, they did for training? Yeah. Or do you want to continue with what we've been doing? No, I, go to, no, I was going to ask about prison. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, no, I think training is cooler, bro, for, for right now. Sure, we can ask about training, but then we'll go on to prison after that. Okay, cool. Well, the, so, so in, in Bosnia, it was, um, it was, it's all infantry, infantry training. So like you're, you're learning how to, how to use a rifle, um, and there it was the AK-47. How to use, how to uh, use other inter- infantry weapons like the PK, the RPG. Uh, you're using you're learning like um, mine detection, how to detect mines, um, how to remove mines, de- uh, you know, demining, how to um, how to uh, you know like infantry tactics, small small unit infantry tactics like attacking bunkers and and so on. Um, uh, marksmanship, a lot 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 of uh, marksmanship and shooting. Um, uh, grenades, how to use grenades. Um, and uh, that was probably 15% and then 85% is physical training. So just like running, marching, um, climbing mountains, climbing, you know, uh, just constant uh, physical training. And then uh, also like we had, we had Durus too, you know, we had classes on uh, Aqida and, um, you know, just various, uh, you know, Islamic classes. Uh, and there are many in, in Bosnia, there are many, many, many people there from the Islamic University of Medina and Umul Qura and Mecca and uh, places like that. So Alhamdulillah, we benefited a lot from uh, Sheikh Fozan, uh, um, uh, Saleh Fozan's uh, son was there um, with us. Um, Anyway, um, and then in, in Kashmir, it was it's very similar. It's very similar stuff, you know. Um, like I said, I mean, see, the, the thing about Lashkar is that at that time, they were not involved um, in these kind of uh, absolutely evil um, attacks like in, like the Mumbai situation. So um, then when I was there, they were just doing like very similar like infantry type uh, stuff. Although the situation in Kashmir is slightly different than Bos- Bosnia. was almost like World War II, if you can imagine, like, you know, um, trenches and, uh, you, know, that, you know, this is our land that we hold and that's the enemy's land and they're trying to take our hill and we're trying to take yeah, their hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Kashmir was more sort of like hit and run type of stuff, like people would cross uh, the line of control, you know, uh, you know, hit like a, a military patrol or, or a, yeah, and run back, you know, that type of stuff. So, so you're, that, not, that, you're not trying to capture land in that situation. You're not trying to capture land. So, so that was more their focus um, there in Kashmir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so what were the physical standards like? Um, basically you just had to be able to, uh, you had to be able to march and run, you know, and not hold up everyone, you know, and not be a liability, you know, so you just, they, they weren't really particularly interested in strength training. They were really interested in, uh, phys- in, in just, just cardio. I mean, it's all cardio, it, cardio and legs. And I mean, you had to, 
you had to be able to walk and carry, you know, carry a lot of stuff on your back. And um, I mean, you had, like, like you had to run, you had to be able to run with like a whole lot of um, like, you know, what they call like uh, webbing, you know, so you've got like four magazines or something. On one That's of those. the U.S. military, it's the U.S. Army, same kind of. Yeah, yeah, same, same, like, same exact thing, same exact thing. I mean, it was, it was just, a, it was a very traditional um, infantry uh, type situation. Um, okay. And there was no, there was no um, air um, there were no, you don't have to worry about helicopters or airplanes because there was a, a UN uh, no-fly zone um, over over Yugoslavia. So there was, uh, so that was something you didn't have to worry about. Like in Afghanistan, you did have to worry about it. So in Bosnia, all you had to worry about was like tanks and, um, you know, t and and mainly even tanks was not that common because of the fact that it was so hilly. At least in the area I was in, so it was all these hills and stuff. It really wasn't very. Uh, what you really had to deal with was mor uh, mortars. Also, mortars was really really bad, like shelling. Um, that was very bad. So you had to learn how to deal with um, shelling. Um, that was probably the most like traumatizing of it because there, you can't hide behind anything, you know, like there's a lot of trees and forests and stuff, but these things fall straight down, you know? Uh, so um, you, you can't hide behind anything. You, you know, it's just, uh, it's that, that's where a lot of people get, um, get killed and hurt. So you see a lot of people get killed and hurt that way. And I mean, you can duck, you can duck in a trench, you know, from people shooting, but you, but that, you know, thing will fall, you know, can fall right in it, you know? So anyway, um, yeah. So that, that, that's, that. Yeah. so were there any differences between what you think like the, the U S military teaches and what Boston, what like the Bosnians taught? Uh, you know, I was, never, like warfare? I was never in the U S military, but, um, but uh, just having watched like, you know, training videos and uh and so on i, I it's you know the u.s military has much more technology than um than we the we did in the bosnian army then um but i think that fundamentally it's probably still the same i mean fundamentally it's um you know it's just very like what we were learning essentially was mainly since we were learning from um i was i was learning from from guys who had been in afghanistan um, but also from people who had been in like also the Bosnian army and the Bosnian army was like the Yugoslav army. Um, it used to, you know, most of the people in the Bosnian army had been in the Yugoslav army. So you're getting like this kind of, I, I could see like what I, what we were getting, I guess would be like something like Warsaw Pact type, uh, tactics. So for example, um, but the Bosnians, didn't, the Bosnian, at least the Bosnians that we were, because we were, our group was attached with the Bosnian unit. So what we would do is um, uh, we, we, tr we, we did things differently than the Serbs. And the Serbs were following like strictly Yugoslav type tactics. So for example, an example of that is that they would, um, if they were going to attack your hill, uh, your positions, they would attack right at Maghreb, you know, like right at the at sunset. Um, and they would attack by first like, you know, firing a bunch of like, um, you know, a bunch of mortars and trying to soften you up with mortars. And then you knew if they started mortar, uh, like shelling right at the um, Maghreb, you knew that they were going to try to attack, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, in person. Um, so it was like you knew what was coming. But er whereas we uh, were following more um, what the Arabs did, which is uh, attacking. Uh, if you're going to attack, uh, try to take a hill, you take you, you attack at, um, at dawn, you know, like right at Fajr. Um, that was the Sunnah of the Prophet so and it's also the way that the um, uh, it's the way that the the Arabs would uh, would work, and it seems to be much more effective because they would all be knocked out of sleep and uh, that type of stuff. So it was really obvious, like you could see, like it was like when you started shelling at Maghreb, it was like okay, so now they're gonna you know, so just wait this out, and then you know they expect everyone to be terrified and run away, um, but you know you, you just put up with it, and then you now you expect them to come, and they would come, and so it was very predictable and. 
anyway, um, so you could see some differences in, 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 um, in tactics, you know. Okay, so yeah, uh, this was just to get like a bit of a background for the people. I want to yeah. move on to prison. That's what I'm really interested in. What I'm interested in is, you know, you got, okay, you got to prison, your life just changed, right? Like dramatically. Yeah. You're like, after the war, you were living with your family and now that's gone, you're in prison now. So what was, what was prison like? Like going from, I know you were like, you went through hard experiences, right? Just being in the war in Bosnia, but this is probably something different. All right. Well, well, uh, let's just like, I'll just sort of like, and God forbid that anyone ever has to go through this situation, but um, I'll just sort of like break down how it was for me and my experience just sort of chronologically. I mean, first of all, I get arrested and I, they took me to, um, they, first of all, I took me to the FBI building to be uh, booked and so on. And then they took me to the Alexandria um, Adult Detention Center, which is like a jail, you know, okay. So, so jail, the difference between jail and prison is a jail is like where uh, you go when um, you've been accused of a crime, but you haven't been convicted and you haven't been sent off, you know, after your sentencing and so on. You're just waiting for, you know, the legal process to play out. And it's also where people go who um, maybe have been sentenced, but they only have like misdemeanors, something less than a year to do. So they'll, they'll hold them in the jail instead of sending them off to, to, to a prison, you know, to do their time. So in the jail, basically, um, uh, the the very common the, the common denominator among all jails whether it's where i was at alexandria virginia or wherever is that there's um life is very very boring you know it's like you're in your unit your housing unit there's no like there's no outdoor like recreation yard like you'll see in movies like in prisons and stuff like that it's just there that you know there might there may be a gym that you can that they'll take you to like once a week or something like that but you're in that unit and that's where you're at you know and the food is generally horrible you know, um, the, 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 the food is, you know, the food that they send you from the cafeteria is bad. The, uh, the commissary, you might be able to buy like um, uh, a cup of noodles that costs, you know, 10 cents in the grocery store, but is like a dollar and, you know, here. So that's the other thing is that money, you know, like you're, you're, you're spending a lot of money on, on stuff to just like, you know, uh, just cause your life is so, you know, you know, boring, you know, the, and the food is so bad that you want to buy like a few extra things like peanut butter and jelly or something like that. And, you know, so that's, it gets really expensive. Also phone calls, they, they are um, really, really, they really extort people with these phone calls. So you're trying to call home and it's costing you like $15 to call your home. And, you know, I was blessed that the jail that I was in was very close to where my family lived. So they were coming to visit and, and phone calls were not as expensive for me, but you know, so that's the other thing is visits are like, you know, they come and visit you and it's, um, you know, it's behind glass. Uh, you can't touch your, your family. You can't hold your kids. You can't do any of that. So it was very, very, um, I got depressed very quickly. You know, um, you know, I, I got to the point at one point I was just, I couldn't get out of bed at all, you know, except to pray and use the bathroom or something. And I, but I would just lay in bed, just, you know, that was really, I was really like a family person, you know, very family man, you know, I, I, I um, spent a lot of time with my kids and very close to them. And so it was very, very, and I had a newborn son, he was six months old. So it was very, very hard to, to, to see them behind this glass. And I, you know, and they would, they were just like looking at me, I couldn't figure out why I was there and what was going on. But yeah, you know, my, my family at that time lived only about, you know, 10 minutes away. So I was, I was in a much better situation than many people. You know, as far as like, you know, dealing with the other people in jail. So I'm not like some street guy, you know, I'm, I'm from the suburbs of St. Louis. You know, I, I've been in crazy situations in terms of war and, and, and things like that. But, you know, this is just a different, 
this is a different thing that you have to wrap your head around. The jail is mostly mostly um, divided between black and Hispanic. The Northern Virginia area where I live um, had a lot of, is a, a, a heavy, heavy amount of Hispanics and especially El Salvadoran gangs. So the jail is full and, they, and they're, they're like beefing, you know, there's gangs that are like beefing. So they gotta be real, you know, there, there's, you'll, you'll have like fights between different, you know, factions of gangs. They'll have, you know, and then the, the, the African-American guys, most of these guys are just really young. Um, you know, in on drugs and, and drug drug sentences. At that time, they were giving people, handing out huge drug sentences to, to really young people. So I'm, I'm like in with all these guys who are facing like a lot of time. I mean, I myself was, I was facing multiple life sentences, um, but they're looking at a white dude and they're like, you know, oh, this guy, I mean, most most white guys in, in, in prison or in, in jail, well, it, it's very hard to generalize. It's very hard to generalize because there's some very, very, uh, psycho white guys in jail you know that you don't want to mess with so but i will say that in the jail type environment um you know most of the people uh, most of the time white guys are seen as like prey basically so you got to hold your head up you got to really um you know it was, it was a little bit different than the fact that i was muslim and that my case was on the news all the time you know it was constantly on the news that people are watching so so they're like you know they kind of have in their mind that i'm like you know something kind of different basically, basically he was discriminated against for being white in jail Oh, oh, it's, it's very... Well, being white and Muslim, right? That was like, for them, yeah. that's a race traitor or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's a very serious thing. And I, I'll talk about that. But that wasn't as much of an issue in the, in the county jail. And it can be in some areas. Just in my area, it really wasn't. For one reason, there was hardly any white people there. So the white guys who were in, that, who in, who were in jail with me were mainly like in for like meth and stuff like that. And they were, you know, most of these dudes were, you didn't have like a lot of white collar uh, guys. And, but, you know, you, see, you, you would see people. Um, it, I, think what I, I think what it is, this is, this is what I realized. The thing is about me is that, I walk around with my head up. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not scared of people. I've, I've been in many fights in my life, you know, so I don't, I wasn't walking around looking like I was freaking, you know, afraid of my shadow. So for that reason, people, th this is how people, uh, this is how people are in jail in prison in general. They, they're, everyone is walking around sizing up everyone else. You're constantly walking around being sized up and sizing up people. People will say things like, um, Hey man, you look, you look like you lost some weight, man. How much you weigh now? You know, that type of stuff. Just so that they can uh, assess in their mind what they're going to have to deal with if they, um, if they, if they have to fight you. But so, don't, don't men do this just like when they're walking down the street normally? They do that normally, but it's, it, yes. That, that's that's why I do that sometimes. Unless it's like, I don't do it as often as maybe. It's, no, but in prison, obviously, I'm sure you're always, you always got to watch out. Right? Yeah. The stakes are higher. Look, that you're you're absolutely right. That's that's a natural that's a natural thing, and it's probably even a biological thing. And but there's no weight classes in jail too. So yeah, like. but in, in prison and jail, it's a much much more uh, more serious thing. And and I, the one of the reasons I, for that I think also is that in the areas where a lot of these people are coming from, they, that's that it's also the stakes are much higher. Anyway, so like when you're in jail, it's like it's like the street is now come to you, you know. So I didn't get in really any too many fights in jail. And again, now this is other really critical thing that I, you know, that, that I point I have to make is that looking like you're um, more trouble than you're worth to mess with is um, uh, going to save you a lot of problems, you know? So if you're walking around looking like, you know, Oh, you know, um, Oh yeah, no, go ahead. Take my food. You're, I don't know if you guys ever see like a, a life with uh, Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy where dude's like, you're going to eat that cornbread. And he's like, uh, he's like, I, I highly recommend watching this movie by the way, Life uh, by uh, 
with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. So, so they go to jail, right? And this dude says, uh, uh, both these guys are like not street guys at all. You know, they're just like kind of, you know, just kind of, you know. Wait, is this a show or movie? It's a movie. It's a movie. So, so they're in jail and this, this big humongous dude says to Mar Martin Lawrence and, and Eddie Murphy go to jail at the same time. They're part of like this bootlegging thing in the, in the twenties or thirties or something. So, so this, this big old dude says to him, he says, uh, you going to eat your cornbread? And he, and he's like, and Martin's like, uh, no, no, you go ahead, man. You have it, man. And, and Eddie Murphy's like, you know, no, nah, man, don't give him your cornbread. If you give him your cornbread, he's going to be taking your, taking your cornbread. He's going to be taking your booty, you know, you know, <laughs> So, so actually, in reality, the, the reality is that that's that's true. Is that like people yeah, will test give them an you. inch, they'll take the mile, right? That's right. They they test you. They test you, yeah. and you know, just don't don't ever give anyone anything unless there's someone that like you know you know, like you know you're with Muslims. That's that's a different situation. Yeah. You know, to some extent, but it's not necessarily different. But it, it's it's different to some extent. But like just some random dude asks you for food, be like, nah, man, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna eat that, man. Don't give anyone anything, you know. And well, how would you? Would you ever have to intimidate people? If yeah, 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 for sure. For so, for example, I'm, you know, so so here's the thing: is that you know how people get killed in prison? People get killed in prison because they um, they underestimate people. You know, they make a they make a miscalculate. They, they're stupid uh, and they they miscalculate um, uh, the, the uh, they miscalculate who they deem to be prey and and who's the predator. You know, so. Um, that's the problem you have to deal with. You don't have to deal with like the smart people who are like really dangerous, who look at you and say, oh, okay, that's someone I, 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 uh, um, I should, I, 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 sh I should avoid messing with you. What you got to deal with is you got to deal with the idiots who look at you and don't understand what they're seeing, you know? So for example, I was like, um, on the treadmill or something running and this is in the jail. So some, some young kid, you know, threw, um, threw something at me and like, uh, like, I don't know, a piece of paper and like bounced off my, back and I look and I see it fall and I'm like you know so it's like you know I don't want to deal with this but it's, it's, you have to you have no choice you know so I get off the treadmill and I pick it up and I go over to him I say my man did you throw this man and he's like oh I'm sorry I meant to throw it in the, and he kind of like was humble he's like I, I meant to throw it in the, in the trash can like, okay so I throw it in the trash can but see like something like that you don't you, and you have to calculate and calibrate and I'll mention like <laughs> actually this happened many times you have to calibrate how you respond to stuff like that because you have to respond in a way that um number one shows that you're not afraid of the person that you'll you know um you know you know it's whatever but at the same time like you give people an out um so that so, you know so it's like what you're doing is you're communicating on some level, some level that's like um you know we can go there if you want but i don't want this and you don't want this so let's just like you know here take this take this way out and you especially got to be careful of approaching people in front of like their friends and stuff and how you approach them you approach people politely so i'll give you an example the the day the day before i left prison and i've been in prison 13 and a half years i'm about to go home i'm in the chow hall this is now in prison not in the jail anymore i'm in prison and this 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 dude cuts in front of me in the, in the chow hall at breakfast i'm going home tomorrow you know and I'm looking at this dude, like, you know, this dude just cut right in front of me. So I, I, I look at him and he looks at me and I'm kind of like, I'm like, really, man? And he's like, uh, he didn't say anything, you know? So I'm like, damn. You know? So I'm sitting there like, I'm going home tomorrow, man. How am I going to handle this situation? You know? So I took all my stuff, got all what's my stuff. After, huh? I was going to ask, what, what's the smart thing to do in this situation? Just like, he's getting he's getting Okay. <laughs> I don't know what the smart thing is, but what I did was I, I, I got, I got, I got all my stuff together, all my property. I gave it to a friend of mine and I said, Hey, listen, 
if I go to the hole, um, here's my property, just hold on to it for me, whatever. Here's, I've been working on your lawsuit, you know, here, here's your lawsuit back. Um, I got to go handle this situation. So when um, I went and found out who he was, where he lived, I uh, was trying to wait for him outside of his, uh, do uh, his, uh, his dorm. I uh, didn't see him, so I'm just, you know, looking for him. And then I, I, I saw him at lunchtime, and he was sitting at a table by himself. So I went and I said, um, walked up to him. I said, hey, my man, you mind if I sit down with you for a second? And he's like, uh, yeah, go ahead. So I sit down and I say, um, so I wanted to talk to you today. Um, I, I said, I wanted to talk to you about what happened this morning. And he says, uh, what happened this morning? I said, well, I'm in line and you came and you got right in front of me. And you didn't say anything. You didn't say, excuse me, you didn't say anything. He's like, oh, no. He says, what happened? He said, I, I, I had been in line and then I just stepped out to put my water bottle on the table and got back in line and, and you just didn't see that I had been already in line. And I said, ah, okay. I said, all right. I said, right on, man. Right on. All right. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, you know, no problem. You know, he's like, he's like, no, no, I've been in the penitentiary. I know, I know how it is. And I was like, ah, this is no problem, man. You know? And so you, and so I let, and so, so how did I handle the situation? Number one, I approached him by himself. Number two, I approached him respectfully, but also like, you know, you know, in a manly way with my head up and so on, you know, and he luckily was someone who, um, you know, he had some sense of propriety and wasn't trying to punk me out or something like that. And even if he had, by the way, even if he had been trying to punk me out, he knew from my behavior that the best way to handle this was to take the way out that I was given him, you know? Um, and that's how you, that's how you handle it. Now, um, I actually think it was really, um, now looking back, it was not the best thing. I should have just left, you know, I should have just let it go. Um, because the, you know, I didn't have any more time to do, you know, so it's like, I didn't need to handle you had like a day left, wrong time to screw it up. Yeah, I didn't need, it was totally unnecessary. I mean, the dude could, if he had had a knife, or he could have been like, oh yeah, no problem, and had a, gone and got a knife and stabbed me. I don't you know. So obviously like that type of, um, I don't know, you know, is that, you know, it's funny, is like, I'll be walking down the street and someone says to me, um, I was walking down the street with one of my colleagues, he was from brother from Tunisia. And uh, this dude, just some random dude says, um, you know, we're in DC, some random dude says, hey man, you got a light? But he said it like in a, in a disrespectful way. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> yeah, how, how is that disrespectful? I look at him and said, no, nah, man, we don't got a light, you know? And, uh, <laughs> he's like, and I got all, I, he's like, all right, oh, cool. You know, he's like, what? But, but the dude, the dude who was, I mean, it was, I mean, it, that in itself is not a bad question to ask, but just the way that he asked, it was like real disrespectful in his, his manner. And my friend was like, um, man, he's like, you're, 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 you're always telling us all this stuff about being uh you know, overlooking people's faults when they insult you and all this, you know, all this akhlaq uh, and stuff like this. And here you just, I say, I, I say, I, can't, I, can't, you know, I was laughing at it myself. And I was like, it's just so funny how like that you know, like prison just like that convict comes right back to you, you know, and it's not a good thing. I mean, it's almost kind of a PTSD thing, really. Um, you know, uh, like a defense so mechanism, I, yeah. right. It's a defense mechanism. And I, I, I actually, to be honest, there's some part of that that is important in, in the street, especially depending on where you're at and so on, I still don't have it quite figured out, like what is the right way to handle situations on the street that, that, are, that arrive. I think what you, what you did is fine. Like when you reacted at the guy and snapped at him, I think that's fine. Yeah, well, uh, well, we'll, 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 we'll see. I mean, you didn't, you didn't physically escalate in that situation. We asked you for a light. You just said, no, nah, man, we don't. And yeah. then your body language probably showed that, hey, if you want to take this somewhere, you like. It yeah, yeah. I, I think it's fine. I think it's good. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, but so, so, yeah, yeah, so, 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 I mean, 
okay, so I'll, I'll give you another example. I, I was in, when I was in ADX, so ADX is the Supermax prison, right? Supermax prison is like um, uh, in Florence, Colorado. It's the highest security prison in the United States. Um, it's uh, most, most of it is 24 or 23 hour, 22 hour lockdown, uh, solitary confinement, um, except for the last part, which is the so-called step down unit where you have to um, um, interact somewhat to some degree with a small group of people, uh, other inmates to see if, you know, you're going to be able to interact with them in a nonviolent way and so on. So, um, I'm in this. Uh, I'm in this unit. This is the most brutal, vicious uh, place I've been in in, the, in my entire prison sentence. Um, it's just con it was just constant, either like tension or being this close to erupting into violence. And this, I mean, we're just dealing with a small group of people. But you don't seem like an angry guy at all. Yeah. So there's these two. There's these two guys who were plotting on this uh, on this um, DC dude, this black dude, um, plotting to uh, to kill him. And they were actually, they were plotting to kill someone. They, they wanted to kill someone for their, I don't know, they had some, like one guy was trying to, um, one guy was trying to uh, make his bones, which means like he was trying to get into the Aryan Brotherhood and he was trying to, um, you got to kill someone to get into the Aryan Brotherhood. So he was trying to make his bones, means like he was trying to um, like do, do some prerequisite to get into the, into the gang. And then this other guy was a state prisoner from um, Louisiana who wanted to kill someone so that he could, um, the, uh, so the state of Louisiana had shipped him to, to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the federal prisons, because they couldn't handle him because he was too violent. And they were about ready to send him back to the state. He wanted to stay in, stay in ADX and stay in federal prisons in better conditions. So he wanted to kill someone so he could get a federal indictment and, and, and um, stay there. So they're looking for someone to kill in that little group. And I didn't, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew they were up to something, but I didn't realize that they were considering killing me. So I, I asked that, um, I, no, I, some he, like for example, the the Puerto Rican dude. One of them was Puerto Rican, one was white. So the Puerto Rican guy says to me, says, um, "Hey, what's that in your uh, what's that in your belt?" So I had I had uh, my pants, and I was using a, a an Indian bandana, like Native American bandana, like to keep them tied up because you're not allowed to have belts there. So I like had tied the two loops together with it. He thought I had a knife, you know, and he's like he's like trying to find out if I had a knife or not. I'm like, no, no, I just got this thing tied up. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, you got a knife, right? If you need one, I'll help. You see how that works? You, know, you got a knife, I can get you one if you need one, right? He's trying to find out if I got a knife. I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so he, he's trying to figure out, like, and then he says to me one day, he's like, hey, man, he's still, he, uh, I'm just working out. I'm just, like doing burpees and stuff. He's like, you look like you're getting ready to lay your move down. I was like, what? You know, I mean, I, but I don't realize when I'm working out, I get really intense. You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm just in my thoughts, you know, I'm thought. And so, so for those type of things, like they're, you know, they, they, he decided, they decided not to mess with me and they decided to mess with this other dude who was a total schlub and never worked out. And that's the other thing. In prison, you must work out. If you if you don't work out, you're you're a prey, you're a prey. If they don't, if and and people need to see you working out, and they and they're and people are counting how many burpees are you doing. They're counting how many pull-ups you're doing. They're counting uh, how many laps you're running. Uh, they're they're looking to you and see if you're um. They're they're they they people will invite you to play handball with them, just so they can see um, who runs out of uh, 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 gas first. You know, and and so that's 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 the way it is. That's the way it is. And they, and you never know what is uh, what agenda what, that they've got going on. So it's not all about, OK, I'm going to treat everyone with respect and and then therefore I'll be treated with respect and I'll, and I'll make it through like that. No, it's not that because you might be walking around treating everyone with respect, but you're a white dude. And this black guy over here um, is under pressure because some white guys in Ohio, you know, killed a black dude and that reached your prison in Colorado. And so you got, they got, he had, he's required 
to, to, to kill a white dude or at least try. And you have no idea about any of that, you know? So you're playing handball with him. You guys have been playing chess. You're cool. You know? So, and the very, <laughs> another thing is this, this ski, this, uh, uh, rocking people to sleep. So the Aryan brotherhood and, and these white gangs are really, really good at that, by the way, they'll make you feel like, you know, you're, you're, you're everything's cool. You know, they'll, they'll be getting you to put your guard down and that's when they get you, you know, and I've seen that over and over and over again. And I saw that in that, in that prison, in that, in, in ADX, some of the most brutal, 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 uh, uh, just butchery, you know, um, it's, it's, it's like, okay, I was in a war and, um, saw people, you know, killed and shot and, and buried people and, you know, buried a friend of mine that had been dead for six months, you know, buried his body. But you see stuff like that. And it's just this constant level of, um, of stress and pressure um, is, is, is very hard to deal with. You know, it's very hard to deal with and it stays with you, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so there's fights in prison. There's like, you know, constantly people sizing you up. And there's also the fact that it's very mundane, right? It's a lot of mind games as well. Right. So no, like my question for him is how did he like remain sane? You know, I don't know if I did, you know, uh, to be honest. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, like, uh, how would you cope? Right. Like, like, was it just dhikr? Was it prayer? Was it Quran? Like, was it a circle of friends, a Muslims you found in there? Like, what was it? Yeah. Uh, definitely Muslims, you know, definitely being with the Muslims. Definitely. Um, definitely re, uh, reading Quran for sure. Um, Quran was my, the Quran was my close friend, you know. Um, also, I have to say that it depends, because I spent two and a half years in solitary confinement, and I spent other time in, um, like, units, uh, so-called terrorism units, so I'm with other, mostly other Muslims. So um, that type of time is very different than the time that you do when you're in, um, you know, when you're with, uh, when you're like in general population, where you're now you're having to deal with like, um, politics on a like totally different level, you know, the prison politics. So when you're having to deal with prison politics, it's very distracting. You know, I still was uh, reading Quran a lot and um, also teaching Quran, like I would teach people uh, Tajweed. Um, so, you know, when you, when you occupy your time uh, and also working out, that's the other thing, like exercise, between exercise, reading, and um uh you know those 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 things are what save saved me you know really um and you know some of so so let's talk about like for example when i after i left the, the county jail and i go off to um to the general population i was in a normal prison at first you know, i was in a normal prison in pennsylvania fci allenwood federal correctional institution allenwood medium security uh now by medium security it, it that, that it was still pretty um crazy you know so um, when I when I showed up there, first they put me in the hole for a month. Um, the administration did that just to see, like, you know, whether I was um, how I was going to behave and so on, um, because of my case. So then they let me out. Um, so immediately when I come out, the brothers, the Muslim brothers, came and talked to me. So this is near Philly, so you get a lot, a lot of the brothers in in prison are from Philly, and there are a lot of Muslims in prison, and a lot of them, and a lot of these guys aren't just aren't people who just converted because they're in prison. There are people, like especially in the Philadelphia area. You know the the Salafi guys. You know are are um, you know Islam is a very huge uh, uh, presence in Philadelphia. You know uh, in the African American community. So unfortunately, a lot of these brothers are up to no good. You know selling drugs and robbing and stuff like that. You know so you're in prison with all these brothers with like big beards talking about you know that's bid'ah and they're like 
you know, <laughs> they've been selling drugs, you know, and stuff. But um, anyway, a lot of really nice brothers, though, regardless, you know, uh, so may Allah guide them in that, that respect. But um, so, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of these brothers. So what, what, what we did was just, um, we, we studied, we, uh, you know, I was uh, doing khutbas. I, uh, I eventually became like the assistant imam. And so what the, the Muslims are involved, the Muslims organize themselves. First of all, every group in prison organizes themselves like a gang. You've got, um, you've got uh, geographic gangs like DC, um, you know, Ohio, you know, uh, Ohio white guys, Ohio black dudes, Midwest guys, you know, um, and then you got the Philly people, and then you got um, Muslims, you got, uh, you got Dominicans. So things are organized on the basis of like origin, like race, and, and also on um, the basis of geography. Um, and then the most, then there's Muslims. So the Muslims are you know, a religious group, but at the same time behave because you have to understand that like it's almost like a it's almost like a um, a mini uh, united nations or like a mini globe you know so like yeah it's like we're a religious group but at the same time we're treated as a and and often the muslims consider themselves in, in in many ways almost as like um their own tribe i guess is a good way to put it and um so you you know um when you're with first of all being with the muslims um is one thing if you're not white but if you're white it's a different thing so being white at FCI Allenwood in particular was not that hard because FCI Allenwood did not have very many white people at it. FCI Allenwood was mostly, first of all, it was an immigration joint. So there was like a lot, it was about half uh, actual Mexicans, like from Mexico who were being deported and so on, um, you know, but who had federal crimes as well. So um, there's that. Then there was a lot of Mexican, you know, Hispanic, El Salvadoran gangs. So like there's, then there was a lot of African-Americans. And the, most, the white guys were very few, which actually turned out to be very helpful to me and avoided a lot of problems for me, you know. So the thing is, in prison, when people see a white Muslim, they automatically assume that this is a guy who's got, who, first of all, he, he either snitched on someone and he's looking for protection or he's a, um, you know, uh, he's a white guy trying to be black or something like that because Islam is considered a black thing in, in prison. So you have to work with that um, stereotype, you know, so you have people thinking, um, and, and this is among Muslims too. I mean, a lot of Muslims are just like, they don't have much respect for you because they're like, this dude is like needing protection from us or something like that. I mean, the thing is, I don't need, you know, I, I, I've been Muslim, I, at that point, I've been Muslim since 92 and I've been, you know, fighting around the world and all this, you know, stuff. So um, it's a lot of people, it, it took a while for people to figure that out about me. And here's the other thing is that a lot of people in prison do, become Muslim or hang out with Muslims because they're trying to achieve some um, benefit, you know, like protection or whatever among the black guys. So among them who think who that's what they're doing, they're going to, they just assume that's what you're doing and they can't even conceive of someone who's actually like sincerely believes this is the truth and is, you know, is praying because he wants to pray and not because people are watching him. And, and so it, you get a lot of all, all the things that come from that and the way that you're treated and so on come, you know, now here's the, you know the interesting thing is as well is that like so in prison, every federal prison the chow hall has two entrances, one on the left and one on the right, and they kind of meet uh, their lines. You go down the lines along the sides of the wall, and then you um, and then you meet in the middle and pick up your food there, and then and then exit like both of you exiting like this way. So it's like, well, the left side is the black side, and the right side are the is the Mexican and white side. And that's every federal prison. 
and the right side of the chow hall are the tables for the Mexicans and the whites and the left side is the tables for, for the blacks. So to see like a white guy, for a white guy to go in there like on the left side in the black line, it's weird, you know, it's weird for people. They're like, what, what is this dude doing, you know? And so, you know, when I, when they came, you know, the brothers came and met me when I first got out of the hole, they're like, okay, let's go to chow. So they take me with them and I'm like standing with them in the line and I'm like looking around, I'm like, like, you know, everyone's looking at me and I'm looking over at the line over there. And there's like all the white guys. And the, I mean, it didn't even occur to me to walk over that line because I'm with the Muslims, you know, so I'm like, these are brothers, I'm in the line with the brothers, you know. But after a while, like I started to feel that kind of weirdness there, you know. And so um, I think I like maybe one time, one or two times went in the, the white side because there were a couple of Arabs there who didn't like to go on the um, black side. So, um, so I walk, went with them on that side, but it, it, let me just put it to this way. You know, people talk about intersectionality and stuff. This is intersectional, you know, madness here because I'm, I'm, I'm white, I'm Muslim. I, 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 I don't have a like regular case like these other people have. Um, I'm from the Midwest, which is another situation, by the way, that's another added uh, complication when you're on the East coast. Cause Midwest guys have a whole nother Midwest white guys have a whole nother situation going on. So. So it was, uh, it was very, uh, it was very good. Oh, so yeah, what I was going to say was, so I eventually became the, the assistant imam. Now, our imam, um, he got locked up. He got sent to the hole. Why? Because, all right, so what happens is in that jail, the DC guys and the black guys in general and the Mexicans um, hated each other. And they would riot every summer. Every summer there's a riot between the blacks and the Mexicans at FCI only. So the Muslims generally stayed out of it because it was like, you know, they didn't really fall in line too, too much, at least at Allenwood with like the black side, you know, they, they do in some jails in some prisons they do, but in ours, the Muslims were more aloof um, from that whole racial thing, uh, at least officially, you know, so, so there, so, so there's a riot. We all get locked up, you know, um, uh, there's uh, when we, when they let, when they let us out, when the prison officials let everyone out, um, the black guys were really mad at the Muslims and they were really mad at our, uh, our imam. Our imam was a guy from, was from St. Louis, by the way. So um, they went and we had a big meeting with the black guys, the leaders of the black groups, um, you know, leaders of New York, DC, all these other black groups had a meeting with our imam and they're like yelling at him. And they're like, what, you know, what is going on? How come we can't rely on you to stick up for us when something like this happens? So the imam says, he was, this, this man was a genius. He says to him, he says, all right, look, we will stick up for you, for the blacks, um, only if you agree not to not to move on the uh, on Mexicans. If if you have a problem, if you have any kind of problem with these Mexicans, you come to us, and we will um, we will communicate with them on your behalf and get it straightened out. But you have to. But if you don't, if you try to do anything freelance on your own, then it's over with, and you guys are on your own. So they agreed to that, right? So the imam he goes to the leader of the Mexicans and has a meeting with him. And we agreed that um, they agreed that um, to work this out and that the, the, the Muslims would, would speak on behalf of the blacks and so on. So what happens then is the whole compound gets united now. Okay, so now they're not beefing anymore. Now they're united. And then the blacks and the, and the, um, and, and the Mexicans uh, made like a list of demands that they wanted from the administration because they, they would just had a new warden and there was all, they, were, they were being like real oppressive and stuff. So they made these demands like, okay, we demand, it was one set of demands. It was like, we demand more education in Spanish. We demand another, um, uh, we demand another um, uh, dentist. We demanded, because everyone was like, there was like a, a waiting list for like a year to get your teeth fixed. They, we demand X, Y, Z. So they, they had these demands that were obviously from the black side and from the Mexican side, but in one list. 
And then there was like this rumor that there was going to be, we start actually was going to be um, a hunger strike um, uh, or like a food strike. Everyone was going to avoid going to the chow hall. So the administration panicked when they saw that the blacks and the Mexicans were, um, were working, were now like united instead of like fighting each other all the time, which actually, of course, made it easier for them to administer the jail when everyone, the prison when everyone's fighting with each other. So what they did was they locked us all up again. They, they take the, our imam, they took the head of the Mexicans and shipped them to some other prison. When they let us out, that, made, that left me as the, uh, as the imam of the Muslims because I was the assistant imam. So I come out and I'm like, all right, well, this is a bad situation to be in because I'm a white dude and these guys are all black, you know? And I didn't have any problem with that and ne neither did like the Shura council have a problem with that. But the people who did have a problem with that were like many, like these rank and file people, especially people who were just trying to, you know, just Muslim because they were trying to get something or whatever. And a lot of these guys were problem causers anyway. A lot of these guys like to, you know, like to have, you know, like hang out with homosexuals. They like to gamble. They like to drink. And our old imam like made a real diff made life very hard for these guys. So now they come out and they sense some weakness. There's like, here's a white guy. He doesn't have that, you know, um, strength. You know, there's not that asabiyah that Ibn Khaldun talked about, which is the good asabiyah actually. Uh, that is that who can command that sort of loyalty uh, from people, you know, um, on the basis of the, the tribe and so on, you know, which is an aid to to leadership. I didn't have it. And, you know, if I'd have been with a bunch of white guys, that would have been different. I was, I'm, you know, in this situation. So I gave a chutbah saying, I gave a chutbah criticizing some guy for saying that he couldn't wait to get out onto the street to sell heroin. I gave a chutbah about that saying, I didn't mention him by name, but I said, you know, what, what's wrong with people who say stuff like this? And it's Ramadan. How can he be saying, well, this guy got, took offense because he, you know, knew I was talking about him and he went around, he took the opportunity to go around and start an insurrection against me. So now what happens is we get this uh, split in the community between all these um, mufsidin, you know, all these people who wanted to, you know, um, have gay sex and drink and all this stuff and against like the, the, the leadership, which was like, you know, people who are like, like the, the, in, on the Shura who are like actually like strongly religious um, people um, teaching the classes and stuff like this. So the, the, the community divides. So what happens is um, there was this, we were this close to actually having a big, you know, conflict between these two sides when boom, all of a sudden they, they snatched me up and they sent me to a terrorism unit. And they did that because, not because of that situation that was going on, but because the BOP Bureau of Prisons changed their policy, said now that because I was classified as a terrorist that I could no longer be on um, a regular compound, I had to be in a special unit. And so they extricated me from that situation but I mention all this to say that um, this is the level of politics that you're that you're dealing with, and 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 what's what's a trip is like. So we're we're walking around, you know, we're walking around. I'm trying to pay attention to who's wearing boots. So people put boots on when like there's about to like something's about to go down, you know. So I'm like, oh, here's this group of dudes wearing wearing boots. Something's you know, it's like alar you know alarms go off, like flags are being raised, all kinds of like there's all kinds of cues and things that you have to pay attention to. And you can't step outside your bounds and you have to, I mean, it's, it's, and you have to be very wise. And it, well, it was very, very, uh, it was very tricky. You know, it was very tricky. And I didn't have to deal with that situation again until many years later when I eventually got to ADX. Like I said, I, I spent many years in these different uh, terrorism units and, and then in, in solitary confinement um, until I got to ADX, the step down unit and had to deal with that. And anyway, uh, yeah. So, so what are the, so out of, from all these experiences, what would you say is like the, the biggest lessons that you've learned that you could maybe share with the youth who 
have no experience um, of prison. Biggest lesson I would uh, say is this, uh, and I, I've already kind of mentioned it. The biggest lesson I can say, which is something very much applicable um, when you come out of prison is um, that you save yourself a lot of problems by, um, by keeping your head up and by having self-confidence, walking like you got self-confidence, um, exercising and, and, and getting yourself physically fit and mashallah, physically fit and, and built. Um, those, those are things that pay off, you know, they, they pay off because they, um, they keep you out of trouble and they, they, they keep people from, um, thinking that they can take advantage of you. And, and it's seen in the eyes too. I mean, you see, when you talk to people, talk to them, you, you talk to them, look them in the eye. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, that's, that's, that's very, very important. But at the same time, not, um, not overplaying your hand. You know, you don't walk around like aggressing on people. You don't walk, uh, you, you're, you have to be very polite with people. You know? Be very polite. And there's a way, that's, that's that trick, right? That's a trick that was refined uh, for me in prison, which is that, um, that, that fine line between um, being assertive and being aggressive, on the other hand, being polite and kind, and on the other hand, being, um, having your kindness being taken for weakness. Um, and it doesn't matter how, fine, how, how well you fine-tune that, there are still going to be idiots who um, don't know who they're dealing with when they, when they see you. I highly recommend um, some kind of combat uh, sports like um, boxing or MMA or, or judo, uh, especially judo, that type of stuff, too, especially boxing, just to, um, just to get your confidence up and to, um, and to know how to handle, handle yourself in a situation, not so you can go around looking for fights. And that's, here's another thing, very important. When, 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 when a fight starts, you don't know how that's going to end. Don't think you're just going to knock someone out. Don't think you're going to, you know, throw a few blows and the guy will walk away. There are people who um, won't let to fight his friends afterwards, right? Yeah. I, and not only that, he, he may try to kill you, you know? I mean, he, whatever, he just keeps coming and coming and coming. And that, and that has actually happened to me, you know? So, um, you just, so don't, don't, light, don't take fighting lightly. Fighting is not a light thing. It's not, a, it's not something that we should um, be looking for. But um, know how to handle your, yourself and look like you know how to handle yourself. Yeah. That's, that's what I would say. You know, I think it goes back to uh, kind of, I think, was it Theodore Roosevelt? Was it, or which president was it? Yeah, yeah. Theodore Roosevelt. Carry a big stick. Speak softly and carry a big stick. It all boils down to that. That is exactly yeah. it. And, another thing, and, and that's the other thing is if, you, if you're like really polite, but you look like you know how to handle yourself, that actually makes, that throws people off. You know, they don't oh, know yeah, so that's so that's that's actually enough. you want people to be thrown off in that. Yeah, you want to confuse them. You want to be unpredictable. Yeah, you want to, I, One guy told me he said he said he said sometimes I think you're really naive, and sometimes you know you're as sharp as as a bunch of Ginsu knives. You know, so that's a reference to some '80s knives. But anyway, yeah. So I mean, that that's a good thing when people people don't know how to. And another thing is this: is that like, yeah, we're all friendly and we're all going through through um, you know life trying to. Um, be peaceful and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, at the same time, like, you know, there's an underlying, um, there's an underlying sort of existential threat, um, you know, to, 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 <laughs> to men. I mean, men, men in general, you have to defend your family. You have to defend, yeah. how do you know, like you might be in the store, you might be in the stores. Okay, you might be in the store somewhere and someone like, you know, attacks your wife or yeah, whatever. Exactly. You have to be ready. 
don't don't look for conflict, but like don't but don't start a fight, but don't back away from it if it does start. Right, and I also want to like mention a couple examples of like people who came to. So we here's a prison. Here's a problem. You know, I don't know if you guys. I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this, but there's especially among like some Afghans and some uh, some Pakistani people. Uh, especially like straight from like villages and stuff like that. Uh, they, they sometimes have a look about them that's somewhat um, feminine, you know, in, in their behavior, at least with respect to how it's perceived by like, say, African-Americans. Okay. Like so maybe. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like when I went to Turkey for the first time, guy, you know, the brother's holding my hand and I'm like, I was about to like, you know, you know, to, to, to faint is how I, I could barely handle it. You know, this <laughs> You know, you have to be in, in Pakistan. Alert. <laughs> right. So, so we get this, we get this, um, and I've seen this happen more than once. Pakistani brother, there was, okay, so for example, in the jail, Pakistani brother comes, he, uh, he got busted for, for heroin or something. He, he had been trying to bring heroin in from, uh, from Peshawar or whatever. So he got busted in the airport. So he comes into the, the jail. And he's standing around, you know, he's standing around kind of like his, you know, loose, uh, his wrists are loose and floppy. And he's kind of like looking around. He's got this like, <laughs> you know, funny hair. You know. And yeah, I can you, see that. you, you got to understand that in prison, that you're sending signals. You're, that, that's not just, that's like the way you are or something like this. It's you are deliberate. And people yeah. interpret that as you are deliberately saying, come and have sex with me. You know, uh, so can you, we had, a, we, had a, we had, I actually came up and found someone sitting next to his brother masturbating. Oh, wait, what? Wait, what? Uh, yeah, and wait, he, he was, he was just sitting there in front of everyone masturbating. Yeah. Yeah. He was sitting next to him. He was sitting next to him. Yeah. Masturbating. Yeah. His hand, I mean, his hand was down his pants, you know, and he, but I could see, I mean, and the brother didn't even realize it cause he's so clueless, you know, cause, cause he's not going to imagine that someone would do that, you know? And we had to tell the brother, I said, brother, you got to be more, you know, you know, you got to be more manly, man, you know, and how you, um, how you behave, you know, because you're, you're sending the wrong signals here, you know, but they, you know, people don't understand, you know, so, so that's the thing is that you got to, you got to, um, but you know, hey, you know what, another thing, another a brother told me, he said, if, he said, because um, you also have this like certain type of person who's walking around hard all the time, you know, so the brother said, he said, if you're, if you want to be, if you want to be um, Billy Badass, you got to be Billy Badass all the time, you know, if you want to be hard, you got to be hard all the time, because you can't walk around hard for a while and then the, the best thing is that middle ground you know best thing is that middle ground and um so those are those that's if you just follow that oh obviously don't go anywhere near gambling don't go anywhere near alcohol don't go anywhere near um the tv avoid the tv because there's always fights over the tv avoid homosexuals that's not some homophobic thing that's just to say that uh so-called that's just to say that you know you um uh, there's trouble involved there because it's what what what's involved there are like relationships and money and and um you know things like that and yeah, people yeah, get yeah. that's the other thing people get turned out people get turned out you know turned out means like someone comes to prison and they're kind of like okay look the the life that I described there of walking around with your head up and exercise and all it's it's hard you know it takes a lot of effort a lot of mental and physical effort. And a lot of people, because of their personality, especially, unfortunately, among white guys, but you see it among black and, blacks and Hispanics, too, is that it's easier and it's more in tune with their personality to um, be pimped out, you know? And they might not have been in a situation like that in the, in the real world. What but, do they mean to be pimped out? 
Well, to be uh, lots of jewelry. To be a, prost- to be a prostitute, basically. Oh, oh, yeah. what, the, oh what the hell? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. Why, so why, why is that in tune with their personality? I don't understand that. Well, are they more feminine? Are they, are, are they like are they jail gay or are they like actually gay? Is that wait? What's the difference? Yeah, no, it's the same. It's the same. But but look, there's a certain type of person who finds it easier to um, to just uh, to, uh, to be manipulated. You know, they find it easy. They, that's their person. And, and even when they know they're being manipulated, even when they know that they're being used, even when they know they're being um, traded around. You know, um, but their personality is that they're is that perhaps that's how they were treated, maybe in 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 their family life or in, you know out on the street. And so when they get to prison and people identify that and they say, oh, this is a guy. And there's a thousand different ways that, that people can tell, like, for example, things like stealing from them. And then see, you know, someone stole my uh, someone stole my uh, my uh, laundry detergent one time. Oh, man, we, we, we me and the three brothers went around into like three or four different cells saying, look, we don't we don't know if you took this. We're not accusing you of stealing this. But if you did and if you know anyone who did um you know th- there's going to be problems you know so this dude actually as a result of that this dude actually went to the police and told them that he was under threat and to please take him off the compound because of what we did you know so so this guy who still he did he stole my stuff he went he got so scared that he got he, he got off the compound now one of the ways of of testing people to see if they can be turned into prostitutes is by doing stuff like that you steal from them start smacking them around and that, you know, that type of stuff. And then they, they, they fall into it, you know, they fall into it. So, um, yeah, I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta, it's, it's sort of like, you know, what kind yeah, of person. Punish every transgression. Don't give anyone an inch. Yeah. Kind of have yeah, to have to, yeah you it's have a very, to. That's a very yeah, honor yeah. culture kind of idea that you have yeah. to, um, any transgression that happens to you, you gotta like give that retribution. And then any time right. a person gives you a favor, you have to give that favor back. Yeah, and it's not, and it's, and by this isn't some toxic masculinity. I mean, it is pretty toxic, but I mean, what it is it really is that if if you don't do that, the consequences are much worse. So, yeah. And again, it's like it's like it's it's like I said when that dude jumped in front of me in line, I'm like, you know, kind of like, here we go. You know, it's not, I'm not looking forward to it. It's just that's the way it is. That's the way you got to handle it. You know. So, um, I I don't recommend handling that things that way in your personal life um but here's where that's here's where that's applicable where that's applicable is like don't be the guy who's constantly like getting beat all the time don't be the guy don't don't, yeah don't be a doormat you know don't be a doormat because because it's just um you know uh, that's that's a choice also you know you have to have some self-respect have some self-respect for yourself you know you're not the guy who um i mean Look, there, there is a certain type of person who is a doormat his whole life and then goes shoots up the school. You know what I'm saying? That's that's still being a doormat. If you you, you know that's still you're still you're you're actually um, you know you're you're actually that that's not that's not manliness. And, and by the way, that's that's exactly how I see Al Qaeda and these people. You know, their their thing is um, they're actually um, their ideology is victimhood. They're not manly people. They're not people who who are who are like you know like the bosnians you know the bosnians who are like they 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 never carried out um suicide attacks they never went and killed women and children or like did hit and runs and never did that type of stuff no honor no honor right yeah 
exactly. And that's what that when that lack of honor and that lack of um, that's actually like a it's a bitch move, really. You know, it's a bitch move. I agree. To go and um, you know, to go and run someone down. I mean, you're you're a you're a you're just a punt is really all you are. You know, you can't you can't you can't handle the the daily um, confrontations, the daily interactions in your life um, until you just explode one day. That that's um, that's the type of defensive resentment, spite um, that um, that uh, that an underdeveloped small soul. Uh, um, uh, uh, that's how he handles it, you know. What you have to ha what you have to be able to do is you have to, uh, and, and and you're not always going to win. Sometimes there's, you know, sometimes don't. That's the other thing is like don't take every loss as like a, you know, um, some kind of like thing that you have to um, react over, you know. You know, you just have to deal. With, you have to deal with uh, defeat in a manly way too. You know what I'm saying? Defeat, being defeated, in whatever whatever it's a small thing or a big thing. You know, be don't be a sore loser. You know, uh, just you just you take it on the chin you know and you handle it you know so so all of this look you know all of this can be i really highly advise reading the the books of akhlaq uh the works of of character and also hanging around muslims who have good character you know hanging around uh, uh be someone who practices virtue who practice practices the fadail the the, the akhlaq and adab and hang around people like that and um, and that's how you'll that's how you'll develop that. But I will say that there's the the art of manliness is really lost, you know, in in our in our day and age. You know, it's it's really lost. So uh, it, there's no easy fix. Um, there's no easy fix for it. And I do admire. I, I have to say, like I've been following you guys' emails and stuff. You know, like I don't agree with everything maybe that you say, but but I do I do like the the. Um, I think it's a very important approach. You know, it's a very important thing to do to try to restore um, manliness. But the question is, what is manliness? You know, what is what does that consist of? And um, and that's a very worthy topic to explore, and it needs to keep being explored for sure. Yeah, uh, I want to touch on two things that right now uh, you mentioned adab, and you mentioned adab in the correct sense, right? Because yeah. in Islam, like adab doesn't mean being a doormat, right? right. There's many instances, right? Like. Uh, he, like he would not when there when someone would transgress right and they deserved it he would he would attack them right like he wasn't always like he would forgive from position of power right when he when they surrounded Mecca for example and Fatih Mecca he 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 had them at gunpoint basically and said I'll forgive you but yeah. why he had the authority right and he showed showed mercy but right. in a situation where you're being walked over that's really not mercy that's not kindness you just right. don't have a choice right, right? I, I I I like how you mentioned adab right Omar Khattab he had adab right. It's yeah. just being being honorable, being brave is as part of being a good adab, and then right. so that was a good point that I like had used adab correctly in this day and age of That's 2019. Right. I mean, I'll give you, yeah, absolutely. I'll give you another example. I was my my wife was dropping me off in, at, at work, which is in DC. This dude drives by me, uh, and I'm I'm like on the side of the street getting out of the car. This dude drives by me and actually like veered towards me as he drove by and like almost skimmed my backpack that I was carrying. So I turn, I turn down the street and I'm looking at him like, <laughs> like what the hell, man? And I'm looking at him. This guy stops the car, puts it into reverse, and reverses back to me. So I'm like, like what is okay? What 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 is, what is this about? You know? So he reverses. Now here's the situation. The dude's got a sort of crummy car. He's got a woman in the uh, African American guy. He's got a woman in the front seat. He's young. I can see the whole situation. The whole situation is. 
that she looked in her mirror and said, well, first of all, he, he did that to like be funny. He's like, oh, let me, let me scare this white dude. She says, oh, he's looking at, at us. You know, he's staring at us. So uh, now, yeah, you know what I mean? So I can see. Yeah, it's look, like, oh, his girl's there. So he's got to yeah, like. So I can see right now. I can already see what's happening. Now, look, if I handle this in a way like, yo, man, what you, you know, first of all, it's, it's, he's going he's gonna to have to do something because of his girl. All these different things. Anyway, it was just obviously not worth, I'm going into work. This is no, worth no one's trouble whatsoever. So I look at him. I'm looking him right in the eye, right? I'm looking right in the eye. And he's like, and I'm just standing there. I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm wearing a, a tie and, you know, dress shirt, but I'm, I'm a built guy and I'm yeah. standing with my back straight and I'm looking him right in the eye. And I'm like, you know, what? I mean, he's, and he says, uh, I wasn't going to hit you, man. And I say, all right. I said, it's cool, man. It's cool, you know. And uh, and he's like, no, nah. he's like, I wasn't gonna hit you. I say, yes, sir, yes, sir. All right. And um, and he drives off. You know what I mean? And so, in that whole little interaction, there's many, many things going on below below the surface. You know, first of all, when he backed up, I didn't, uh, you know, run away. You know, I'm standing there. I'm like, you know, but I'm being polite to him. And also, like, I was somewhat not humble, but I mean, I was humble and I, and I, and I let the situation go. So he could be like in front of his girl that he, you know, you know, came back and said something to me or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And we all walk away happily. And I don't, I don't have that, um, that what's that word I'm looking for? I don't have that sort of um, lack of confidence. And I don't have that self doubt where I would have done something and said something stupid. You know what I mean? Because that's actually, not coming from manliness that's coming from self-doubt and from uh self-consciousness i have enough manliness and confidence in myself that i can let that situation go without right but you can but you can let that go because you've experienced so many fights you've already tested your strength you already know where you stand exactly i would i would i would i would probably be able to demolish yeah you know this right because you know this from the experience right but i'm saying most men today they don't they haven't had that rite of passage if you will right that's it too. So yeah. that's why they walk around like that. They, they, like they're not they're not certain of why, why they do what they do, right? No, but Ismail, brother Ismail, he's had his right of passage, so he doesn't need to prove he had it. it so he, he knows. That's what I'm saying. But most yeah, guys, but, uh, most guys, most guys need to get beat up or beat someone up and like get into these altercations. <laughs> they need to get into these altercations, sort of. It's helpful. It's helpful to get punched in the face once in your life, you know, because now you're no longer afraid of it. Now you know what it's like. And yeah. it's not that big of a deal. I mean, on the other hand, by the way, that dude might have had a gun in his car and shot me and killed me immediately. So I'm also kind of calculating that, right? So you know, you don't you don't want to be stupid. Now here here's here's another um another You gotta thing. be clever and brave. You gotta be yeah, bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because a lot of a lot of times people confuse uh you know, recklessness with bravery. They're not the same you thing. Gotta, you gotta be witty. Yeah. Witty. <laughs> Wise. Like yeah. Uh, and then I want to touch on the next thing. Uh, actually, finish your point. Uh, I was going to talk about manhood, unless you have yeah, anything to say. I, I actually don't. I actually forgot my point, but I might remember it at some point. Okay, cool. Whenever you remember it, just let me know. So manhood, like you said, what is it? It should be explored. So here's, from like what I've read, uh, I could probably boil it down to two things. It's an oversimplification, but it ultimately comes down to like protecting and providing. That's, those are the inherent masculine traits, I would say, that are consistent with Islam. Agreed. Right? And protecting and providing agree. for yourself, for your family for your, as Muslim, for our community, because that's kind of our job as men, right? Like, like it's when someone breaks into your house, who goes, right? It's, yeah. it's you. That's like, right. who's in charge? And then I think, I think it also has more, it also has to do with leading, because 
we're also shepherds for our family, right? That's like right. teaching religion, imparting wisdom, like evaluating decisions for the family. Hey, is this the right course of action? So yeah. I think it comes down to, this is an oversimplification. I know Jack Donovan's written a book on the way of men and Fahad has like, Fahad can say a lot about this as well, but that's, that's the way I see it, right? It just comes down to protecting and providing. And ultimately, if you can't, like you said, right? Men today are growing up, what? Playing video games. They have no physicality. Yeah. They haven't been tested, right? Sitting in the, like sitting in the classroom, just learning stuff. They don't have that. Like normally, what, what do men do? Fahad had a tweet about this, right? Normally in societies, they would go, they would, they would go through a rite of passage. Either they serve their country through combat, they right. like lay their lives on the line. They lay their lives down, right? And so, you don't even have to do it through combat. Like what I'm trying to do right now is, uh, or just like yeah, being a firefighter, right? Or like fireman, right? That's sacrificing. That would be an inherent. That's that's like you said, a masculine thing to do. Yeah. Or even sacrificing your youth, sacrificing your your body, you're sacrificing your time in the sense of volunteering. Yeah, uh, yeah, but that's ambulances. not but that's not necessarily masculine, right? I could go volunteer in a soup kitchen. That's yeah, not masculine. But, but like you're watching people die in front of you and like as a, that's still not masculine you know what i mean it's not it's not the same well, thing look a lot i i i do actually i i think i think what you're talking about brother in terms of volunteer firefighting i mean in a way really firefight i've thought about this actually firefighting and and police too or or in many ways um taking the play you know like that's what you can do you know in our society that's somewhat no, that's masculine i agree yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the protecting part of masculinity yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, but I'm saying like going, like volunteering at a soup kitchen, that's not masculine. Not necessarily. It's yeah. part of being a good person. It's yeah. being a good person, but being like, like, like that's, that's where the discussion gets crazy, right? Like, like the, the, the criminal drug dealer and the firefighter, they're both masculine. Yet one is good, one is bad, right? Masculine is amoral. Yeah. Unless we want to define it in the lens of Islam where we could say masculine, masculinity is protecting and providing. You still... Yeah. It depends on like how you would define it. And I think you said right now masculinity is lost. And I think the way to bring it back is I think through I, I men like are like word, made. I like the word manhood better than, than manhood. Yeah, let's use manhood. That's probably a better word. I think the way to bring it back is well, men are made, right? They're made through trial, through, you know, and forging I believe, the fire. Yeah, it's like forging, yeah, it's like forging a sword through the fire. So I believe I like the, I think, I think Muslims in particular, they're providers. They can provide, okay? Generally, they can provide, but they cannot protect, right? Yeah. How many Muslims, like men, like, do you know that, okay, like, what if someone broke into my house? Do I have a gun? What am I going to do? What's the protocol, right? If, I, if my wife is attacked, do I have the physicality, do I have the confidence to take the attacker? They don't, right? They don't ask themselves these questions because they're afraid. They haven't thought about it. They'd rather not think about it and put their head in the ground than actually consider the possibility, yeah. right? I mean, that's because most Muslims... begin with people need to, like, take accountability for themselves and take it seriously. You know what I mean? I remember the point I was going to make, which is somewhat in relation to this, is that um, I don't know if you guys remember the the situation with uh, the sister uh, 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 Nabra uh, Hassanain, who was um, in uh, Virginia a couple of Ramadans ago, and she so so it was her and a group of um, young Muslim men, 17, 18, you know, year old um, youth. Uh, they went to um, they were doing itikaf at the at, uh, the masjid here in North, Northern Virginia, and they, they went to IHOP. And I think they were coming back from IHOP, um, you know, when this El Salvadoran guy comes up and uh, I guess I think one of the guy, one of the brothers had thrown something at him or something, he tried to like run them off the road or something, something like that. Um, so when that conflict erupted, the guy, you know, got out of his car and started chasing them with a baseball bat. So everyone ran away, they all ran away and left the sister who, uh, uh, started tripping over her 
uh, jilbab and stuff. So he came and cracked her in the head uh, with a baseball bat and was standing over her. And the, and people, the, the brothers saw that, at least one of them reported seeing him standing over her with a baseball bat. He took her, threw her in the car, um, raped her and, and killed her and then uh, threw her body in the lake. And the thing is that like, you know, everyone's like, you know, wants to say, oh, don't, don't criticize those young men because they, um, you know, they are traumatized and, and they couldn't have done anything. But the thing about it is, is you got, you, you're, you're walking with a sister, you're a group of like 17 year old, 18 year old kids and you, and you, and you leave her, you know, to be raped and murdered, you know, and I'm not going yeah, to, okay. I'm not going to sit here and coddle these, these kids because of their, their trauma. I mean, they should, they should uh, be traumatized and they should feel bad. I mean, she's traumatized. She's dead. She got raped and she was murdered. And mm -hmm. you know, a group of young men uh, left her uh, for her to be raped and murdered, you know? So it's not easy. It's not easy to f face a situation where there's a lunatic with a baseball bat, you know, that's not an easy situation, but, and, and who of us knows what we would do in that situation, you know, but um, I can tell you one thing that the, the, the parents who raised those kids are the ones who should actually really be feeling uh, guilty. You know, uh, they're the ones who should be saying, I raised um, a, a son without giving him the um, capability of handling that situation. You know, that's who should be feeling guilty. Definitely, definitely, 100%. Like, uh, yeah, 100%, I agree. Like, yeah. this kind of reminded me, this kind of goes into what Father even tweets about. He even said it once, right? Uh, there's your, your morals don't mean anything if you're not strong, right? Like, if the good men are not strong, then who are, right? Because who's going to stop all these evil people don't care. But the murderer doesn't care about your morals. The rapist doesn't care, right? The rapist doesn't care that your, oh, guns should be banned, right? He doesn't care, right? He doesn't care. So who, if, if, if we're not strong, then who is, right? Yeah. Uh, and like, it's like you said, the parents, it's like their, their responsibility. Like it's even like, this kind of reminded me of, sort of, of my dad. Like he always taught me like, oh, you have to protect your brother. You have to defend your brother. Like when he got bullied once, he's like, yo, go, go deal with this guy. Like, go do it. And I, as a kid, I was kind of like, oh, it's kind of awkward. But, like, he's like, go, oh, no, go do it. And it's just, like, this mentality needs to be there. I, know, I, like, I, yeah, I never, I never in my life as a kid was some, like, fighter guy or something like that. But I was, you know, um, one time I was in uh, eighth grade, and this, uh, this dude was bullying me. When we were playing soccer, he was, like, an older guy. And he would always, like, he would, like, you know, trip me, and he would do this type of stuff. And it was uh, – it was irking me. So I just like one day I just walked up to him and punched him in the, in the jaw, you know, exactly, without even. I have the same exact story. About the basketball. Same exactly. Yeah. And then I, I ran and hid underneath a desk, you know, and, uh, and the next day when I went out there to play soccer, the guy was like looking at me like, you know, and he didn't, he didn't say anything to me, you know, so he, he left me alone, you know, <laughs> so it's like, you know, and, and that's the type of thing is like, what, what, um, what are you going to do when you find yourself in that situation? You know, what are you going to do? Are, are you going to, when you find yourself in a situation with the dude with the baseball bat, you know, standing over the sister, or when you find yourself in a situation when someone is trying to harm your wife or break into your house or, or whatever. And by the way, really much as you, as you said, providing also, you know, are you the guy who's, um, are you the guy who's out there and getting a second job? Uh, so that your wife can stay stay home with the kids and doesn't have to work. Are you or are you the guy telling her, making her go out and um, and get a job? You know, any any man who makes his wife 
go out and get a job instead of finding a second wife. Uh, to me, that's not manly. You now, mean finding a second job? What job you mean? Instead of finding a second job. Now, I, I have to say that obviously- I agree with you, 100%. Yeah, yeah now we- 100%. Said, that's right. Now, we live, now we, we live in, a, in an economy that's very uh, difficult not to make it on, on, on two incomes. We know that. We also know that we also know that um, kids need the father at home too. They need they need uh, to experience the, the father, but the but the father um, the, the the kids need the mother too. And if you're making the mother uh, the, and the kids kids need the mother um, uh, at home as well. So if you're making your the, the mother of your children go out and get a job and the, and your and your kid is being raised by some um, babysitter or something like that. I mean that's that's uh, disgraceful. That's that's absolutely hundred percent. That's disgraceful. Hundred percent. I agree with my like my dad's the same mentality. He's like, you know, these guys asking their wives to work, it's retarded. Yeah. Like, like, cause you know, in, in Islam, you can't for one of the conditions for marriage has to be that he has to be able to provide. Like yeah. that's a condition. Like And look and look, there's a lot of different things you can do. You can uh you know, you can, if you're creative, you get out there and you, you know, look and, and, you know, if your main job isn't cutting it, then find a little, some little side thing on the side and do that, you know, and just, uh, and, and bring in some income for your, for your family, you know. And people, people in Saudi, like there's like, in Saudi Arabia, because I, I went to high school uh, yeah. here and, and uh, like there's workers here that literally they'll work two jobs to send money back home for their wife and kids. So their kid can go to like, so their kid can go to school yeah. and like mother and stuff because they couldn't go. So, I mean, you can, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. You know, if you, if you want to be a man. And yeah, and it's not only that, it's also like the living standard of today. Like many people, like you don't need two cars. Exactly, exactly. Like you don't need, there's so many things you don't need. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I ride yeah, my bike to the Metro and, you know, mostly, you know, and so, so there's ways that you can cut, cut down as well, you know, and that's also part of leadership. Being a leader and being a man is, is uh, showing your family by example how to um, how to live and putting your foot down when it comes to uh, excess, and it very much helps that my wife is very good at um, at saving money as well. You know, um, so we're we, we have we're a good team. You know, Alhamdulillah, that's good. Uh, so uh, she's looking uh, at she's looking at me right now. So I had to, <laughs> you have to like oh, I gotta say something good. <laughs> I gotta say something good. <laughs> so like I wanted to ask you. What would your advice be to people like would be persuaded by the rhetoric of uh, of many of the groups now today that are trying to fight like like you know like what would you like to stop someone from going there right like that are yeah. easily persuaded right but, how would you what would you say to them like how would you talk them out of it there's a couple things that are like one is that there you know depending on the individual people are attracted to that can be can be attracted to that type of thing from for for different reasons so you have some people who are attracted to that for the reason that we were talking about that it involves it's like it speaks to their uh manliness and their sense of adventure and their sense of wanting to go off and do the something openness yeah. right exactly so so you got that kind of person you know and then you got another kind so i would there's certain things that i would say to that person mm -hmm. um i would say to them for example that uh Number one, that um, it sucks that we don't live in a world where there are worthy causes uh, to go off to, but this is not one of those worthy causes. And your, uh, your zeal and your um, good quality of wanting to do something manly and something worthy and meaningful and good is blinding you to the fact that these people are uh, Satan worshipers, you know? Now, the, the other thing is that I would, uh, then I, and I would say find an outlet for that, 
that is um, good and positive and beneficial, um, like some of the things that we've been talking about. You know, um, now what I would say is there's another type of person who 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 is um, someone who likes to feel that they are um, uh, the elite of the elite, that they are on the truth and that everyone else is not on the truth. That, or like, yeah, you know what I mean? person, or I think, okay, wait, there's this type of person. And I think more, what's more common, actually, you, know, you might know more than me. Yeah. Which you probably do. But like the one that just flips like a switch from not practicing at all. Exactly. So if you burn out. Exactly. And, uh, and, and you'll find that a lot of those people that you just mentioned, they're flipping, but in a way, they're actually still, they're carrying over their nasty personalities um, uh, into, or I don't say nasty, but they're carrying their type of personality over into this new thing. And, and it's the type of person who feels like, um, you know, all the Muslims are, are um, astray except me and my group. And, um, you know, we have to, you know, we have to fight the kufar, we have to fight the munafiqeen, and we have to, you know, and, and, and this type of person often feels like they have been um, uh, uh, the victim of injustice. They, victimhood is very big in them. Like, right, them, victimhood, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the victim. The, now, it's, this type of person is very, very hard to reach because they have a disorder in their soul, you know. This person over here, who we talked about, the first type of person who's just wanting to do something meaningful and good and manly, um, you can reach this person because their their soul is not as um, malformed and and as as disordered as this as this other person. Uh, you know, I knew a guy in prison who was like this, and um, he was such a he was such an irreligious person. He was so he was like if you met him you would never think from his behavior that he was Muslim if he wasn't like mentioning like Islamic terms or something like that. You know, he was so, he would, he would like, like he gave me a pair of shoes and took it back like the next day. He's like, Oh yeah, I actually needed those. What you the know? hell? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like stuff that like, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, like you would never recognize this person as, as being Muslim. Why? Because he grew up his whole life in a, he was, he was Jordanian, Jordanian, but he grew up his whole life in a secular household that was urbanized and really, really, high, uh, you know, high status and stuff. So he, he never learned any kind of like actual like Islamic behavior. And um, so this guy, I'm like, he, he, he came to me one time and he says, I'm, um, he says, Ismail, how could, why does everyone hate me? And I said, well, okay, you need to, you need to work on your akhlaq, you know, and I gave him the book, Madaraj um, al-Salikin uh, by Ibn Qayyim. I said, you need to read this book. Because in this book, he's, he's like, Ibn Qayyim like very carefully examines all the, you know, these diseases of the, of the soul. And I said, you need to read this book and you need to, um, you know, you need to learn it. And he says, oh, I, I know this book. I teach it to my students. And the thing is, this guy is a, like, he likes to think of himself as some like, mutaalim, um, uh, uh, you know, someone who's teaching people. Okay. And so he, and he's just a, he's a total ignoramus, you know, but he, he, he liked to be in that position where he was like, and he fooled a lot of people because he's Arab, first of all. And also, you know, he says he fooled people into thinking that he was some, you know, a qualified person to teach. So I, I, he says, oh, I teach that book all the time. I said, no, I don't mean teaching the book. You need to read the book and you need to, you need to uh, look at yourself in the mirror with a, a brutal honesty. And, 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 and that's how you can get people, that's how people will stop hating you. And he just didn't, he didn't get it. You know, he didn't get it because he had lacked that capacity for self-examination and introspection. And um, if you don't have that, if you don't have that ability to look yourself in the mirror, honestly, and it's, it's, well, I, it's, it, I, I just don't see, there are some people that, that it's 
the only way to, to reach such a person person and stop them from going off into something like that is to like break their legs or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't, you know, it, you know, the best thing, because, because this type of person, by the way, this is the same type of person who, if he had not found like this ideology from like, you know, shoot a school or something. Yeah, he would, right. He would be, he'd be a school shooter or he'd be, uh, you know, or he'd just be some other random type of, um, some type of, of loser, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess those people are probably has to do with their probably like some it's just the way they grew up and some sort of malevolence they didn't really yeah. Yeah. conquer their and, and some then people are, yes and some people like someone asked Ibn Rafaimin they said uh, he, he was commenting on this about character and he said that some, some they asked um, about the person who was born with an inclination towards bad character mm -hmm. he said in other words, like, you know, like Allah basically fashioned this person with this sort of predilection, you know, and he said this type of person has to work very, very, very hard to counteract that. Um, but he's not excused from that having to work hard to counteract that. He has to counteract that. And then there are other people who Allah created them with a disposition towards goodness. And he said, and those people are, are blessed, you know, um, and they don't have to work as hard. But, you know, we still have, you know, e e even those who are, who have that sort of uh, predilection towards, and that tendency towards, um, towards being small souled, you know, and towards being spiteful and mean and narcissistic, and they still have to work very hard, and inshallah, they, they uh, with, the, um, with dua and um, that effort, you know, you make, you, you take steps towards Allah, and Allah runs towards you, you know, so, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the other, that was a good response. Uh, Solid. Father, was there yeah. was another question? Um, just reflecting on uh, the Muslim community before and after prison, uh, yeah. what are the most notable differences in the Muslim community before and after prison? Leftist takeover! <laughs> well, as, as you guys might know, I worked for, I worked, um, for uh, various Islamic organizations from, from nearly the moment I became Muslim. I worked for the World Assembly of Muslim Youth in 93. I worked for CARE. Started working for CARE in there um, in 1994. Uh, worked there on and off until 2001, the end of 2001. I worked at um, American Muslim Council and other organizations that people don't even know anymore who are who are young, you know, but who are around in the 90s. I worked for Muslim Students Association. I was the president of MSA at my university, and then I was a national spokesperson for MSA National for a while. I was. I, I, uh, Muslim American Society. I was a communications director for them, so I, I'm very, very intimately familiar with um, the. So, so that's one aspect of it. You have the one aspect, which is the sort of activist aspect, and I have to remind myself that that's not the whole Muslim community. That was my, you know, my segment of the Muslim community. Also being in D.C., you know, so I have a, I have a somewhat. Um, I have to be careful that I'm, this is not Ohio and St. Louis and. California or Chicago. This is this is the activist scene in D.C. So, I'll mention that when it comes to these activists, the problem is that from a very very early stage, they chose to invoke the language of the civil rights movement um, and grievance as their mode of trying to achieve Muslim rights. So, um, you know, and this is what CARE chose to do from the very beginning. AMC, who started before them, not as much, American Muslim Council, but CARE really, really did. And so they, they you know, this was before the term Islamophobia was even ever used, but they would use like anti-Muslim bigotry and stuff. You know, there was a lot of good that they did in terms of like 
helping Muslim women who needed to work with hijab and, and, and or brothers who wanted to go to Jum'ah, uh, get, you know, to get time off at work and, or to pray. And so there was a lot of good that was done there, but um, they began to uh, pin their strategy on hate crimes, okay? So, you know, when the World Trade Center, I mean, when the Oklahoma City bombing happened in 95, it was like, okay, they issued a report. Here's all these hate crimes that happen against Muslims. And, and then 96, they, so they decided to start issuing these reports every year. And every year there's like this pressure to have like more and more, you know, hate crimes or, or, uh, or, or you know, whatever, incidents or whatever that you're reporting. And it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's it, you begin to uh, develop this, um, this uh, grievance-based discourse that filters out into the broader society. Now, I can say that the Muslims started doing this, well, CARE started doing this, frankly, um, very early on, but then as this whole society, uh, other grievance-type groups like, um, like um, the uh, uh, LGBT movement, homosexual movement, gay rights movement, they, in the 80s, in the late 80s, decided that they would take this strategy too. And all of this, by the way, is uh, adopting the language of the civil rights movement with respect to African-Americans, which is actually like a legitimate thing, you know, that was really like, you know, there was a grievance there, obviously, you know what I'm saying? So, and there are problems, you know, there are problems that Muslims go through and there are people, you know, you run into these type of things, but for your entire mindset to be based on victimhood is very demeaning and very um, effeminate. And that's actually not, I don't mean to mean that as an insult to women. I mean, actually, that's probably not even the right word. I mean, it's very, it's unmanly, let me put it to you that way, because women don't, you know, strong women don't do that either, you know? So, you know, like, a, a, like uh, anyway, I warned, I was writing in like 2002, I started writing essays, like I have one called Pity Me, I'm a Muslim, <laughs> and um, Muslim Activism at the Crossroads, writing about how now we're at this point where we can continue with this, um, or we can stop doing it and try to be more manly, more, more dignified, and that this is the, this is the right path to be more dignified than to keep on hammering this victimhood thing. Well, what I did not, and I also mentioned this, that I didn't see coming, I didn't see the way that that would lead towards um, the extreme um, progressivism and liberalism turn, turn towards that among the Muslims. Because even like, even in, like, I remember saying to, to my boss at CARE, saying, hey, do you think we should like say something about this, um, you know, same-sex marriage thing? Because it seems like things are going in that direction. Maybe we should like come out against it or something. He's like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to anger our friends, you know, in the ACLU and so, you know, but at the same time, like care at that time would like come out and, and denounce like um, bills that were, uh, you know, that would allow like partial birth abortion. Care was really good on that, they, you know, and, you know, so, so they had that, they had that sort of like, they continue to maintain that Islamic um, uh, standard. Like we, back then we would not hire a sister who wasn't wearing hijab. If a sister came in uh, applying at care without hijab, they just wouldn't, she wouldn't get hired, you know? Or mm. if a Muslim or if a brother came in and he, uh, he wanted to work there and he didn't pray, he, he wouldn't get hired, you know? You wouldn't hire, it, just wasn't, it just wasn't possible, you know? So, um, so it was like, you know, it was just like we, ha we maintained this, this sort of like Islamicness, you know? And then after I went to prison, I remember sometime around 2016 or 17, no, 16, yeah, sorry, 2016. 
uh, hearing on NPR, it was like an interview with, um, it was like a little focus group that they did with some Muslim women, young women, like college age. And they're like, oh, we're here destroying stereotypes. And one of them's like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't even care if I hear something, on, uh, if I see it, uh, uh, if I see an article about, um, you know, about um, Palestine or something or whatever, whatever it was, uh, I don't care about that. I'm more, much more interested in an article about Planned Parenthood. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, what? I mean, like, honestly, like, it did not compute at all. It didn't make any sense. Like, what is she? What is she even talking about? Like, Planned Parenthood. What, when did you know? When did Muslims care about Planned Parenthood? When did Muslims support abortion? I mean, that just does not make any. It didn't even. I didn't even understand. I couldn't. I didn't know how to process it. You know. And then, and she was talking about gay. Oh yeah. And then, and LGBT, LGBTQ issues. That's the first time I ever heard that phrase. LGBTQ issues. Like, what is issues? You know. Like, definitely they have issues. But I don't know what that, what, you know, it, like, like issues involving, I guess, like, you know, getting access to bathrooms and having, you know, hormone therapy and whatever, you know, same-sex marriage. Like, you know, so when I heard, um, this is the first time, and then, and then they're talking, the interview was talking about how they're wearing hijab. So I, I mean, in my mind, I was just like, I, I, if you can imagine, it's hard for you guys to imagine how shocking that, that was to me. Like, to you guys, that's normal. To me, it was utterly baffling it just didn't make any like someone talking about a round square it didn't make any sense so when i came out i came out and i'm like oh what's this twitter thing and i started looking you know looking at that and i, I didn't really have any i didn't really have any access to the muslim community you know because i came out and my my everyone's gone all my friends were gone it's like 13 and a half years later so I, i'm just out like i'm living with my dad i didn't know anyone i, I go to the mosque like at the masjid no you know hardly anyone knew me you know so i didn't really have any way to like connect so i get on to I, I couldn't figure out Facebook, so I get onto Twitter, and I'm looking at like some of these things. People are, I'm like, this is this is making no sense. I went and asked the imam at our masjid at Dar al Hijra. I said, um, this was like maybe like a month after I got out. I said, what did you what did you guys do after I got locked up? I mean, you guys, I said, did you you guys did you guys you guys didn't say anything about the same sex marriage? You guys didn't say anything about um, all this like uh, you know uh, abortion and stuff. I said, my daughter is coming in and talk to me. My my daughter is coming to me and talking to me about how everyone should just be able to marry who they want to marry. My daughter went to Islamic schools her whole life. You know what I mean? I was like, what did you guys? Yeah, what did you guys do to my my community? You know? So I came out and I I, I have honestly I have this sense of um, uh, sadness and betrayal. I mean, look, it's not all the activists' fault. It's it's certainly the case that in general, all of America is becoming more secular. All of America is, I mean, look, Protestants are, are going through, Catholics are going through this, Jews are going through this. Um, everyone is going through this, but with the, the Muslims, there's something added on top of it, right? Something that's added on top of it is not only this secularization, but also this, um, uh, this uh, lack of uh, dignity, because it's, so much of it is driven by, uh, especially by the activists. It's so much of it is driven by this pathological drive to be accepted. It's just like, yes, a hundred percent. Accepted and this whole second, like this victim mindset. Oh, we need them to accept this. Uh, like it's so terrible. Every time, it, like every uh, I'm on like the email list of several Islamic activist groups there. It's just constant. Uh, I'm not going to say the name of the organization. Let's say like, um, we condemn this. We demand hate crimes investigation. Well, I, there, there was some, uh, some mosque, someone left a picture of Jesus on the porch. 
we demand a federal hate crimes investigation. Or you're demanding a federal hate crimes investigation because someone left a picture of Jesus on the mosque? I mean, that, it's one thing if, some, it, look, I mean, if, if someone leaves bacon on the mosque or someone, you know, runs into the mosque with the dog as these type of things that happen, and they don't happen very often. And let's say when those, yeah, those are things that have to be dealt with. But first of all, if it were, if, 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 if I, if they were to listen to my advice and I had been giving them this advice, I would tell them, don't make a huge deal um, publicly out of this. Handle this with law enforcement locally. If, if it's something that you don't need to, first of all, a picture of Jesus doesn't need to be handled by federal law enforcement. Okay. But, but someone running in with a dog in the mosque. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something you go. And then when, and then if they, and then, and then like handle it in a way of like, let's have this person sit down with us and we'll talk to them and they'll get to know us and we'll have the, have their punishment be that they are required to come and have dinner with the imam or something. Like, well, I, I knew a brother, who I worked actually at care when I was working at care, this was like 98. He called us and he said, we have a, um, he said, uh, he worked for Coca-Cola. He was a driver for Coca-Cola and they wouldn't allow him to, to wear his beard. And so I contacted Coca-Cola and I said, um, you know, you guys are not allowing this guy to wear his beard. And, um, you know, um, title seven of the 1964 civil rights act says that you're required to reasonably accommodate the religious practices of your employees. And he's wearing, wanting to wear it for, for religion. And so you should let him wear it. And so they are like, okay. Yeah. And they let him wear it. Okay. So the brother calls me later and he, to thank me. And he's like, um, we just got to talking about his story. I, you know, I didn't know what his background was, but he says, yeah, he says he was an Orthodox Jew from Israel and he moved to the United States and he one day, and he, he was, he, he really disliked Muslims. So he went into the masjid one time, this is in Colorado. He went into the masjid with his Torah to argue with the imam. He said he went into the imam and he's like, you know, wanting to debate the imam. And the imam, who, by the way, I happened to know, when he mentioned the imam, I said, oh, I know that brother. He's a, a Pakistani brother who lived in Saudi Arabia for a long time. Sheikh, beautiful, beautiful brother. So, so, so he said that the sheikh told him, uh, okay, let's have tea and chicken first and we'll talk later. So this guy is now Muslim. <laughs> he said, long story short, I'm, I became Muslim, <laughs> you know? So this is a guy ran into the mosque in order to debate, in order to argue and, and, and you know, and uh, is now a Muslim. So that's that type of thing where what you were saying is coming from a place of strength. Mm -hmm. When you're coming from a place of strength and dignity and you can handle things like that without being so fragile and, and, and crumbling into a little pile of dust and demanding hate crimes investigations, you know? Instead, you're like, okay, well, you know, here's this situation. Let me handle this. You know, let me deal with it. Let me, um, you know, that's, it, it's, 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 it's a completely different mentality than the mentality uh, that we have today. You know, so I, I really am very sad for, and, and, and I think part of it, here's part of it. Part of it is the second generation of Muslims, uh, of immigrant Muslims. So the first generation, these guys didn't really care very much. You know, I mean, they weren't like, you know, they, they weren't seeking acceptance. Many, most of them, let's say, were not seeking acceptance so badly that they were willing to, um, you know, fling their religion, you know, to the side. I mean, some of them, yes, to some extent. And we, we know examples of that and so on. But in general, especially some of the more religious people, they were, um, they had more izza, you know, and more honor. Um, but people who are born in the United States, I believe that they have a, and their parents are from another country. They have a certain um, challenge and fitna that many people don't have. And that is that it's difficult for them, I think, in many ways to know who they are and where they stand. So their, their identity is in some 
sense in a precarious uh, situation, you know? So you have some people who, you know, react to that in a way where they, you know, where they, where they go, it, it's, it's their, 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 their identity is somewhat fragile. That's all I mean to say. And then I think that this is um, to a great extent driving um, a lot of this. And I will also put it on these activists, the first generation activists who used this sort of, um, uh, they, they latched onto this like intersectionality and stuff as a way, as like some Machiavellian uh, sort of scheme uh, to, um, to try to achieve rights for Muslims, which by the way, here's another problem is that the, a lot of these activist organizations began to confuse the interests of Islam and Muslims with the interests of their own organizations. So you would, we would find, and many organizations where I worked for, I'm thinking one in particular, it would be like, oh yeah, we achieved such and such result. Um, Alhamdulillah, this is good for the, um, this is good for the Muslims. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, this is not actually good for the Muslims. This is actually good for, for us, you know, in the sense of our like, you know, we, we, we got a little victory that we could, you know, that we could like put in our newsletter and ask and fundraise over it. But like in the broader picture, obviously is not actually good for the Muslims. And, you know, so, so, so they, 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 they went that route. And between these two things, the activists on the one hand, pushing this stuff. And on the other hand, the, the, um, the difficulty of the second generation in, um, and, and, and they were abandoned, the second generation, I believe, instead of investing in things like Dar al-Qasim, and of Medina Institute and all these different, um, you know, inst some of these uh, yaqeen and you know, which despite some, you know, might have some disagreements, but I think that they're in general, I think it's very good. And, um, you know, and other types of um, uh, types of things, instead of investing in these type of institutes and in Zaytuna, instead of investing in more Zaytunas and grammar school type of Zaytunas and stuff like that, what we did was we invested uh, uh, so much in these victimology organizations. So we failed this second generation, um, I think, in giving them some grounding, very strong grounding to stand on. They floated away into their, um, you know, into the into the mainstream of society, and this is what we're looking at. And so there's now this division. You're getting this division between those who care about their religion and those who are um, those who have lost their their grounding. Um, and it's a very dangerous uh, situation. You know. Brother, um, how does it feel transitioning from real life warrior to keyboard warrior? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm, I actually have a day job and it doesn't. I, I know, I know. Yeah, uh, I, I have this funny. funny. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to be funny. The, the, the real but he, What he's asking, what he's actually asking is how do you like, you were on the front lines, you know, you were like, you're in Bosnia, right? And now you're like, like now you like yeah like now like the way you stand for islam now is more discourse right it's uh well it's less so physical and more mental well let me put it to you this way like what i what i was doing um in the 90s and uh so on yeah i was going off to these places but also then when i'm coming back i'm working at um care i'm working at you know uh amc i'm working at you know Muslim right, right. i'm doing things where i'm trying to like you know, help build, build the community. So now I'm helping to build the community too, because I, I work um, for an organization and I, um, uh, I, I'm right now like in, in organizing right now, three separate co conferences of other um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to discuss actually some of these very issues that we're, what we're talking about today. And so I, I, um, I'm actually doing a lot of very fulfilling work. So a lot of this, the way that this fulfill you more than like, like back then, or is it just because yeah, you're yeah. older now, so you're like more mellow? 
I would say yes because because I know here's what my what my major flaw was was in attempting to relive Bosnia. You know, I kept trying to relive this um, period of time, which was this I don't want to say magical, but it was just like this um, beautiful confluence of my youth and 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 an actual like black and white war you know so mm. so so that type of situation which was with good people and i was with good people more or less you know for a mm. good cause and i was young and so so as the years go went by i kept trying to recapture that and it's not it can't be recaptured it couldn't be yeah. recaptured you know so so my error was instead of um focusing on what i could do you know in the here and now and focusing on my family and building my family as part of my um, you know, part of, part of, yeah, exactly. Part of my mission. Um, instead I was focusing on, um, some magical thing that just couldn't be recaptured. So, so now what I'm doing now, Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm trying to keep that uh, balance of focusing on my family, building a um, strong family, um, trying to be a good neighbor and so on. And, and, um, doing these, uh, conferences where I'm organizing, um, you know, uh, like I said, organizing conferences, different things that I do, um, doing like uh, Supreme Court briefs to support the Sunni uh, position um, on different issues and, uh, and to try to, in spite of these activists who are trying to undermine, actually literally trying to undermine Islam, uh, the interests of Islam and Muslims and religion, uh, in, in religion in general in America, in the name of fighting Islamophobia, I'm actually like, trying to stand up for those things. Um, so I feel like very fulfilled, you know, I feel very fulfilled and, um, and continuing to like work out and, and have time for, um, for, for, for fun and for blowing off steam. Um, you know, yeah. so yeah, I, I feel very good. And like most people know me just from Twitter, but believe it or not, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. spend most of my time just like, yeah, ranting and raving about yeah. stuff. No, 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 of course, of course. I, know, yeah, but I told Bob that was like a lame question, but he wants to try to sound funny. Oh, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I'm cute like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, uh, la very, very last question, because we got to wrap this up. I got to bring Oscar yeah. soon and yeah. Uh, um, yeah. keep this question very brief. Yeah. Um, so we know from Twitter that you recently had a son. Uh, his name is yeah, Ali, mashallah. Ali, Ali Ismail Royer. Yep. Um, so if if you were to listen to this in 20 years, uh, what would you want to say to him? Like, think of this as like a little time capsule. Wow, that's a beautiful question. <laughs> that's a beautiful question. That's the best question I've ever been asked in one of these things. Nice. You can think on this, yeah. Think I would it. say to him, I would say to him, um, I hope I was there for you. I hope you know that I love you unconditionally. I hope that you learned from me how to be a man, how to be a Muslim man, how to be, um, you know, how to be a good person. And, you know, I hope you learn to love your Lord and love uh, the people around you and, um, and do good. Yeah. That's, that's what I would say. And yeah, that's what I would say. That's that's a tough one, yeah. That's a tough one, but that's something like that is what I would say. To that's him. pretty deep, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's a wrap. That's All, right. All right. So, uh, Jazakallah Khair for uh, taking out the time out of your busy, busy life. Uh, I know, you, like, you do a lot of stuff. Like, you have a family, you're active in the community, and everything. Jazakallah Khair. For, it was an honor to be here with you, and yeah. I'm sure someone will. I've sure said something stupid here that someone can take out of context and use against me. Personal, <laughs> 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 yo, if you're, oh, listening, if you're that person, just assume the best.
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, Bob, do you want to wrap it up? Oh, wait, I don't know. I think we're, where can uh, people find you? Um, okay, so uh, Twitter is a good way, at Ismail Royer uh, on Twitter, or um, you can email me, ismailroyer at gmail.com is fine too. Uh, yeah, I also have a blog, um, a good um, a good tree.net. That's a good tree.net. I'm just posting like, you know, my writings and stuff on there. So um, I don't op update it too often, but you can find like a collection of my writings over the years on there. Solid. Let's wrap it up. Thank you. Thank you.